0: Welcome to Sabby Sab's Podcast. I'm your host, Sabrina Salvati. This is episode 109, RFK Jr. Israel slash Palestine Controversy. Pasta, host of the Convo Couch, was able to ask RFK Jr. about intentions of deleting his tweet of support for Roger Waters. How do you feel about his response to Pasta? I'm curious to hear your take on this and how you guys feel about it. So let's go ahead and dive right in. I'm pretty sure you may have many things to say. Let's go ahead and bring in Ashura. You are first on the mic. Hey, Ashura doesn't have to wait this time. What's up?
1: Uh, I just wanted to get first, so I was going to do something afterwards. Um, <laughs> There's a lot of stuff tonight. I mean, I think with the Chris Rock thing, like uh, Chris Rock was going to be see. Try to make this guy's image better, like uh, the, the Epstein guy. How are you gonna basically reimagine re- the image of a pedophile with jokes? Mm-hmm. That's what he is. He's a performer. He's a he's a com he's a comedian. How are you gonna use ruse, rape joke with some fucking joke about getting assaulted? Any type of joke, because you know he does these jokes, but he can't do it with Epstein. That's like kryptonite. That's a, that's a fucking ticking ticking time bomb. That's a good point. I, I honestly don't know Ashura.
0: Um it's it's really strange to me. Like I said, out of all the people that he was connected to, I don't know, that that was just odd to me. Um and I'm just I'm not surprised anymore, I guess, but I mean like I would expect to hear more names be released as time goes on. I think it's only a matter of time for I think a lot of these people are outed, to be honest.
1: I mean I don't think Chris Rock is into pedophilia shit. But I, I know that him and Chappelle, but they're they're comedians. And comedians are mostly capitalists, so they want to make money. So I think it was a it was a gig, but he shouldn't know who this guy was. He didn't do any research who this guy was in the first place to accept it. Yeah.
0: Well, you know what? Until that point, Ashura The crazy thing is, is that some of these these acquaintances or friends, whatever you want to call them in reference to Epstein, some of them knew exactly who he was. And the thing is, is like some of them chose to reach out to him or to meet with him after he was already convicted. And that's the thing, like those are the people I think we really should be looking at more extensively because I just kind of feel like, why would you even take that risk at that point in time after you knew he was already
1: guilty of what he was doing? Uh, maybe it's Hollywood. I mean, the, <laughs> that's why it is. It's, it's, it's Hollywood. Like you, you gotta be okay with the pedophiles on the liberal side.
0: It's a mess. Uh, well, one of the interesting things that, uh, you know, Tara Reid did reveal in her statement. Also, if you guys get a chance watch the whole statement, it's like an hour long, but she did mention that like, You know, she had reached out to groups like Time's Up thinking that they would help her and be on her side. But then she found out that they were attached to the Democratic Party and they were connected to, to Joe, to the Joe Biden, uh, you know, administration as well. So it's like, even the people that say that they're going to help you. A lot of times those people are also co-opted in a way by the Democratic Party or or any other political party, to be honest. So who do you go to? So Tara said, "Okay, I'm going to go to the press. And then the press turned on her and the government turned on her, you know, so she really did not have a lot of people in her corner. And that's unfortunate.
1: Well, that was that was it was a bit funny when you did that Kim video. Because it seems like it was a hostage video or something. The way she was presenting it,
0: <laughs> you you said you feel like it felt like Kim was taken hostage.
1: Yeah, <laughs> it was like uh, I don't know. She didn't tell me. I'm like, it's like she was. It's like she was trying to basically think people were gonna say, oh, you fired her or y- she left or or some bullshit behind the scenes. So she didn't want to work with you. But because uh, Monarch was asking a question, did she leave this month or the last month? like i i when she gave that date june june 18th or 19th or some shit like that it was and, may
0: well it was may she left in may
1: yeah cuz uh, he was asked that question i'm like regardless if she said that uh, they left on good good on, on good accord so why does it matter why why she left i mean if they basically if there's no bad feelings behind it well
0: because people will still you know, Kim, I think did the right thing by making a statement herself, because the thing is, is that people are going to come to Kim with questions because they know that Tara Reed was her producer.
1: Okay, and uh, the reason why she went to Russia, uh, who told her exactly to go to Russia? Like I heard somebody said in the chat, Matt Gates. No, she she was in russia
0: because she said that she was doing like um i think she was publishing her book in different languages so she went on vacation to russia but when she got there i guess when she was about to return to the united states matt gates had informed her that it wouldn't be a good idea for her to come back
1: that she would most likely yeah that's why i said like like what, what the fuck? Like, why does it take a politician to tell you not to come back? And that, that's an odd step for a politician to take, though. Like, a politician to tell you not to come back? And what the fuck is going on now? Like, if this is how it's going to be, like, if you go from any country the United States doesn't like, that you come back and they're going to jail you? Well, that's what just happened
0: to, uh, you know, Kit Clarenberg. I mean, he didn't come back to the U.S. He went back to the U.K., And they detained him. Uh Fiorella Isabel, also, you know, host of co-host of the Convo Couch, she was also detained. Um, and you you know, she's living in Russia, she works for RT and it's like it seems like now anybody who travels there, if you try to come back to your home country, you know, people are looking at you suspiciously. And so but I think with Tara Reid, like for Matt Gates to give her the heads up, that tells me right then and there that he knew. I think he knew
1: that what was going to be in store for Tara Reid. You think uh, anything might happen to Gates himself, or you know, tipping her off whether or not they would have done it to her?
0: Probably not, because right now the the Republican Party, the GOP, actually holds the House, so they're not going to try to you know file or press press anything against Matt Gaetz. So Matt Gaetz probably felt comfortable telling her that because the GOP has control of the House and it's less likely that his own party is going to come after him for revealing that information to her. If it were the other way around and the Democrats had control of the House, maybe there could be a possibility there that, you know, the party would try to you know press matt gates and say look like we're coming after you because you gave information to tara reid and she's in russia yada yada but uh i think matt gates would have never told her that unless he knew for sure that he was protected himself
1: okay because I because i thought maybe it wouldn't it wouldn't matter if he told her because he could have basically used that as a civil rights well basically constitutional rights bullshit to basically say that uh The government's coming after over bullshit
0: it's not even just you know the government um a lot of people have come after tara reed like tara reed has received death threats like for a long time like she had difficulty getting a job like when rt was like shut down you know tara reed lost her job and so she was trying to get a job after that and obviously a lot of people all they got to do is search her name, and they're like, "Oh, we don't want to hire this woman. She's the one who accused Joe Biden." And it's it's really unfortunate, it's really sad. And I think that, you know, Tara Reid did not have a lot of people in her corner, and that includes people on the left. And it was very disturbing to me. I mean, I listen, I've known this for quite some time, and I, I held my tongue for a long time. The lack of support that people were willing to give Tara Reid the lack of exposure that people were willing to give Tara Reid. People didn't want to bring her on their shows because they thought it would be a liability or they thought it would hurt their brand or they thought it would affect their bottom line. And that's a problem. So I've known about this for quite some time. Obviously, Reef knew. He, he came on tonight. He was her producer for her show. We've known about this stuff for quite some time. And it's just, it's very disturbing that people seem to be more willing to, to try to protect the integrity or what they consider to be integrity of the democratic party, then do the right thing. And oh, she did well. not, she did not have a lot of support. Like when she didn't have anything, like when they, when, when they removed RT, she lost her job and everybody else that had a show at RT also lost their jobs. But the difference was those people, also had other ventures so like when chris hedges lost his show on rt chris hedges is also a professor he's also an author like he had other things that he could do he got picked up by real news network and with tara wait is when, that when,
1: is that the is that the news where uh, chris cuomo is
0: no that's a news nation
1: okay
0: real real news next network is uh max alvarez um but uh You know, with with Tara Reid, it was the exact opposite, like Lee Camp was picked up by Mint Press News, like all these other people got picked up by other outlets. But people didn't want to take the chance and pick up Tara Reid because they felt like they would be like seen as a liability or, oh, it it might hurt the Democratic Party. You know, I sat there and I watched people promote and prop up Michael Tracy, but they refuse to bring Tara Reid on their damn show. And I'm sorry, I'm calling it all out. Fuck it, it's calling and it's Thursday night. They wouldn't bring Tara Reid on to talk about her story, but they would promote Michael Tracy who sat up there and smeared the fuck out of Tara Reid in an article. And when Tara Reid voiced her opinion and said, why are you guys doing this? This guy smeared me, yada, yada. You know they just they, they 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 defended Michael Tracy.
1: Yeah, Michael Tracy. T- I I do watch. I do I do have him on call and just to see because he's been on Jimmy's show. So normally I don't really take this guy seriously, because I know Majority Port doesn't like him. I do listen to it, but sometimes he's got some bad takes. Uh, I didn't know he did that shit. It, it, it's, it's yeah, probably- Google, it. Google it.
0: Google it. You'll find. Google it and you'll find the articles where Mike Tr- michael tracy google michael tracy tara reed and you'll find the articles where he smeared her he was the one that came out and said that her story changed and she's not credible and then other people started saying that exact same thing not understanding that first of all i didn't see that tara reed's story change and second of all even if your story does change people have to understand that people that have been, that have gone through trauma, it is not uncommon for them to not remember every single detail that happened in the event that is actually very common with victims of trauma. And instead of actually bringing on trauma experts to talk about this, people decided to keep their mouth shut to ignore and avoid Tara Reed. Maybe not necessarily. Some of them didn't smear her, but they avoided her. And it was very obvious. The same way some people choose to avoid RBN.
1: Yeah, it's uh, yeah. I saw that, too, with the breaking points at the time. That was after Joe Biden got the nomination. Then Ryan Grimm puts on the show. I'm like, really, after he got the nomination? Well, Ryan Grimm
0: actually was one of the people that actually wrote about Tara Reid early on. He actually was in her corner, believe it or not. And she has commended Ryan Grimm for actually giving her a chance to tell her story where others did not. So just FYI, even though you saw her on the show with Ryan Grimm, that he had already written an article prior to that. So he actually was one of the people that was willing to give her a chance. Just FYI. I know uh-huh. we have we have many criticisms of Ryan Grimm, but when it comes to that particular issue, he did the right thing
1: for once. Uh did you see the thing about the the town hall thing? Did you do a video about it? Um that one is happening tomorrow. Uh you can't you can't talk about it.
0: No, because I have I have extra videos that were sent to me so I need to go through
1: those as well. That- I'm pretty sure I saw it. Yeah. pretty yeah. <laughs> <laughs> trying to talk about other channels. Um, uh, uh yeah, my, my last one is the RFK shit. I mean, I don't know why people are still thinking this guy is he's gonna fight for them. He's not gonna fight for them. I know Jimmy bought into the BS with him because he's 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 been on the um uh, he, he he's he's done basically he's anti lockdown that kind of shit. So I'm okay with it. But on the other shit. I think that's the only thing that he's. You could you could say RFK. You agree with it is, is on the anti culture war shit, but the other stuff like he's kind of wishy washy on the politics thing. He will probably keep some of the establishment uh, policies to check up to check because uh, the Cuba thing. If I if, if I'm not if if I'm not mistaken, wasn't his family involved with the Cuban missile crisis?
0: Yeah, well, he did say like during his announcement that. His father did realize after the fact that that was a mistake, that it was a mistake for him to to get involved with that. He did mention that at his announcement. I will say.
1: Yes, yeah, so I'm like, why is it he says yes with Cuba? But when it comes to the Israel shit, oh, I don't want to touch that. I, I got like <laughs> I got family ties with Israel and I'm like, OK, so uh, the Palestinians get to die. Right. So it's
0: like so you can push back against you can push back against the family when it comes to the vaccine rhetoric, but you can't push back against the, the family
1: when it comes to foreign policy. And I think that's something people need to pay attention to. Yeah, because I'm like, oh, he's probably not going to do anything on the foreign policy. I mean, he talks a big game, but I think he's going to he's going to cozy this shit just like Obama did with the <laughs> the CIA, FBI. He's going to normalize them at some point at a distance. But I don't think he's going to go too hard on them. Really.
0: The point that I'm trying to make to people is that he's not going to do anything different when it comes to that particular issue, and I, I mean, I think that should be a concern for everybody. Like, I'm, I'm sorry, but it, things are not going to be better for the Palestinian people with him in office. Does he not know the story of the Palestinians? I we were, yeah, I thought we were trying to make a, a, a real change here.
1: Yeah, because uh, when you showed that uh, his, uh, what, what do you call him? Dennis? I don't know what the position is, Dennis Kucinich, what his position is. He was right there. I thought Dennis Kucinich was going to basically stop the interview. He just let him keep, keep just hanging himself.
0: Yeah, I thought he was going to say something too, but no, he didn't say anything. So I think some people were surprised by that. They were like, he just kind of stood there and just let him answer the questions. I guess yeah. it would look bad. If he would have pulled back and said, don't answer that question or that's it, we're not taking any more questions, that probably would have looked kind of bad.
1: Yeah, this is like the only time (laughs) I know I've complained about RK's voice, but this is the only time you clearly saw you you heard a little bit of fear in in his voice when he when he touched the Israel Palestine (laughs) question. Did you see the look on his face like when he (laughs) he 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 looked like he was sweating bullets? Like, oh my god! I'm not how do I fucking answer this question? It's a fucking layup, man. If you know the history, what the fuck happened? Just basically, just lean on the history. Why the fuck do you have to basically lean on what the fuck that the establishment wants to do with Israel? I don't give a fuck if you're friends with Israel. Fuck them. That's why people are calling him a Zionist now.
0: Yeah, I mean, Noel, I want to get your perspective on this. If you want to come in.
2: Mm, good evening, everybody. Um I think the whole thing with RFK Junior is revelatory in a sense, um, because it clearly indicates that on the major issues he is not a principled person. He may, you know, when you were doing the podcast, um someone in the chat was saying that at least he's honest this and that but my concern is that this is not about honesty this is about humanity and he is honestly articulating support for an apartheid state and i don't care what your family ties and connections are right is right and wrong is wrong and to be of such an unprincipled position and not even, you know, I just don't get it. I just don't. And what I really don't get is how people don't see it so clearly. I mean, we live in a time where the everybody is mixing everything up. They'll say two things right, one thing wrong. And everybody's like, well, at least they said got two things right. But these are principle matters. You should be able to get all of them right. You should be able to get the Israel-Palestine right, Ukraine right, you know, reparations right. These are fundamental issues that speak to right and wrong treatment. It speaks to justice. It speaks to fair play. And that people, especially a, a, a man with RFK's history running for president, is saying, oh, I have strong family ties. I don't give a damn about your family ties. <laughs> On what's right and what's wrong.
1: Uh, did you know he was also pro-Ukraine? I was watching Do Dissidents and they showed a clip where he was pro-Ukraine like maybe a year or two, a year ago maybe.
0: Yeah, I, I did know. I did know that. But the thing is, is like in reference to the family relationship, to Noel's point, I mean, I'm sitting back here and I'm thinking... Well, the family also had ties to the mob at one point. So should
2: you still rock with that? Right.
3: But can you imagine people
2: this. saying, oh, I'm not, I'm a, I'm okay with apartheid in South Africa because I got strong family ties. Huh? There you go. <laughs> oh, I'm okay <laughs> with slavery because I got strong family ties. I don't think
1: you do reparations.
2: You know, I don't the- understand how people balance these things in a way that they think it's even reasonable.
0: And what kills me is like to see Dennis Kucinich just standing there. No one like Dennis Kucinich has close relationship with Cynthia McKinney. And I know exactly where Cynthia McKinney stands when it comes to Israel and Palestine. And it is definitely not in that direction. So but it's it just- really interesting. He sat there. He said nothing. Nothing
2: but it also reflects how these people understand and are prepared to negotiate the administrative state. They're not willing to cross certain lines. They're not willing to say certain things. And when we look at our, our history from the last half century, we see it becomes more clear that the more willing you are to really navigate the truth, the more likely you are going to be in some type of mortal danger. And these people and, you know, I see Dennis Kucinich on a whole different light because I don't I think I shared way early on when I first started calling in the call in that. You know, I have an issue that I'm trying to fight here in Cleveland. And when Dennis Kucinich was running for mayor, I had reached out to him to avail him of what was going on in the hopes that he would leverage his, you know, huge um, political um, brand to at least bring attention to this issue. And to his credit, he did call me. But when I said... Um, He said to me, well, you know, if I'm elected mayor, I'll certainly be able to get involved and do something this and that. And I said to him, Mr. Kucinich, you have the longest political career of anybody running for mayor. You don't need to win. Mm -hmm. You could simply speak to it. And he sucked his teeth and said, well, you can see, if you could send me the information to my office. This and that, I'll check into it and see what I can do. And so he commenced to giving me a P.O. box, and I said, "Mr. Kucinich, most of these records are electronic." <laughs> but it, it it spoke to volumes to me because what he was clearly demonstrating was that he was not going to speak to this issue even by way of anecdote on a debate stage and say, well, you know, I was, you know, I was contacted by a woman of trans experience and she said this, that, and a third, and we really need to, if I'm elected mayor, we need to be able to deal with these issues. They were not going to do that type of thing. And Nina Turner is the same. So I'm starting to see these people in a whole different light And, you know, I regularly speak about people in the democratic orbit. These people know the players and the gangs much better and more intimately than we do. And, you know, even some of the ones who come off with a, you know, knight in shining armor veneer. When you get right down to the brass tacks, the Democratic Party is corrupt. It is morally and ethically bankrupt, and the people who play in that pen are just as dirty as the ones who stir up the swamp.
1: Uh, RFK, and- would, this is, RFK would disagree with you on that, uh, Noel? Because oh, he, I'm sure he, he would. He says uh, the party is corrupt, but not the I- individuals. The party, <laughs> first of all, there is no like, such thing as a member it, of the, the Democrats. people are good
2: people, it's just the party's bad. I'm like, What? <laughs> Party's not a person. But here's the thing the party is the aggregate of the behaviors of the people who populate it. And so if the majority is swinging in an unethical way, then the character of the party is unethical. And he knows this. And so, uh, you know, but what I am starting to understand in a whole different way is. These people understand it. They know it. You know, Dennis Kucinich knows what has happened to him, how he was his district was redrawn. But yet, they still float around in that orbit. Nina Turner saw what they did to her, but she still you know, declares that, oh, I'm a Democrat, this and that. And the party has demonstrated that it is resistant to reform. So, uh, you know, this really is the elite dominated administrative state demonstrating that it is going to do what it is going to do. And, and it's, it's almost like a cabal. It really is. And That's we're like, just, you know, people on the plantation, baby, trying to appeal to master to do something different. And Hey, you know, whipping us up, lynching us, pushing us to the side, throwing us in the boiling oil and saying, Oh, go somewhere and sit down. <laughs>
1: Yeah, and I'll and I'll end with this question to you, Sabrina. Since you were there, I guess you're probably going to be uh, moping <laughs> moping in the corner for three days because Pasta didn't told you he he, he was there. Um, what 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 would have been the questions you would have asked uh, Pasta if you had some of his his two questions on your mind? What would be the other questions you would have asked uh, RFK?
0: Okay, so I definitely so Pasta definitely got. Two of the questions I would have asked, like, obviously, I definitely would have asked those questions, but also, which I don't think anyone has asked him about this yet. But I would have asked him what's his opinion about reparations for, you know, Adas, for, for freedmen in this country. How does he feel about reparations? I don't think anyone has asked him about that yet. Has 5K really- Jr. interviewed with anyone that's African-American yet? No, this is a ser- serious question. Like, I'm not trying to be funny. I'm just asking. Like, I have not seen that happen. And so I would ask him that question, like, do you agree with reparations? Do you have a plan for reparations? I would have asked him to dive in a little bit deeper about his opinion about Medicare for all, because I don't feel like he dived in deep enough for that on breaking points. Think, in other think, words, do you have a plan? <laughs> I
1: think is health care is like uh, Medicare for all for who wants it.
0: Yeah, and then and then I would have had to push back on that and explain. See, and I give kudos to Pasta not just because of the questions that he asked, but also given the space that he's in because I've been in those press rooms before and it's not just Pasta, like there's several press people there trying to ask questions and they only have a limited amount of time. I think he was probably he's probably in that room probably anywhere from 15 to maybe 30 minutes. So everybody's trying to get their question out and get an answer, get it a- an answer. And so pasta was like, okay, I better come with two straight solid questions that he can answer quickly. And that's kind of how you have to move when you're in those press rooms. Right. Or you don't get any answers. Mm-hmm. But
1: have, like, what do you, what do you have shut down all the bases all around the world? Shut them all down.
0: Yeah, and then also, like, would he be willing to cut the defense budget? And if so, by how much? Like, I think, but my thing is, like, seriously, like, has anyone asked him about reparations? I don't think they have. And so this is going to show you, like, where people's mindsets are. I, I just, I don't know. Like, I feel like... This whole idea, like when he tells you his view about, well, I saw, I'm i with Israel and that's where my family's been. And again, we're not talking about Israeli people. We're talking about the state of Israel, which right now, this is an apartheid state. And so when you tell me you are okay with that, well, then I definitely want to ask you how you feel about reparations. Because all that, that speech that he gave, like during his announcement that I covered on the ground here in Boston, where he said like, My family wanted to create racial harmony and we wanted everybody to be on a level playing field. And that's what my father sought out to do. And that's what my uncle sought out to do. Okay, well, let's call your bluff. Since you want everybody to be on a level playing field, then do you agree with reparations? Because even after you do the universal policies and we've talked about this before on the show, even after you do all those universal policies, black
1: people still going to be at the bottom when it comes to wealth. Yeah, because I, cause I think the question is going to be, I think the answer is going to be universal. Like, he's not going to want to give up the reparation thing. He's not going to cave into it. He's going to probably give you a universal program. And uh, when it comes to the Palestinians, I've heard that from many uh, black channels, specifically Professor Black Truth, he brings up the Palestinians. He said that they're basically the same thing that happened to black people, happened to the Palestinians.
0: Right. So how are you going to be for, and this is the same thing, I, we didn't get a chance to dive deeper into this with Marianne either. This is the same same criticism I had from Marianne. Now, Marianne actually does have a reparations plan. Now we can argue about how large it should be uh, or not, but she actually does have a reparations plan and she understands that it is a need, right? But at the same time, how are you gonna have a reparations plan say so you understand that and black people have been done unjustly in this country, but at the same time, then you're gonna sit up there and say, you know, Israel has a, right. Re- well, she has said this, I have a copy of the tweet, Israel has a right to to uh, exist, and you'll say like, well, the only possibility is a two-state solution. No, that's not that's not equality. How are you going to be for equality on one side, but not for equality on the other side? And some people may listen to this and they say, well, that's different. That's abroad, not in the United States. Equality, you know, inequality somewhere is inequality everywhere. So if you're for equality in the United States domestically, you should also be for equality abroad. A lot of the things that happen in this country influence what happens in other countries. They go both; they both go hand in hand. So this it don't make no sense to me. That's why I'm just like, how are you gonna say there's no separate but equal man? How are the Palestinians gonna be on equal you know footing with with the Israelis? if you do two-state solution, they're not gonna be on equal footing because there's less Palestinians and they have less resources. We've already tried separate but equal in this country. Why don't people understand that?
1: Yeah, well, whatever, I'm I'm gonna hang up, Sabi. Thanks.
0: Thanks so much, Ashura. All right, let's move on to Tim. How you doing, Tim?
3: Hello, Stabby. Timber. (laughs) Great show tonight.
0: Thank you. What's your take Um, on all of this, Tim?
3: Well, as far as RFK Jr., um, are we really surprised? I mean, isn't that totally something a Democrat would do? Yeah, it is. interesting
0: to me, Tim, is that people are making excuses for him. I feel like people are already starting to idolize him. You already have the RFK Jr. stands and I see people making excuses for him and I'm like, wait a minute now. So like to Bree's point that she brought up when I was on Rising the other day, it's like, why are people willing to make excuses for RFK Jr. with his position in reference to Israel and Palestine, but they weren't willing to do that for Marianne. And I think both of their positions are wrong. Like to be honest. But it should be the same across the board. It shouldn't just be, well, I like this person more so, so I'm gonna make excuses for them.
3: Right. And it's yeah I mean RFK was already disqualified, you know, saying he's, he's a Democrat. So that right there already just removed him for me. Like, all right, so he's not he's not gonna be one I'm gonna vote for. And then he does this. And then I go, oh, well, that sounds about right. So I'm like, yeah, sounds about right. I I think
2: a uh part of it also is the total control of the narrative. I think a part of the support that we're seeing for RFK materializes out of the, the construct of You only get to pick between the two parties and, you know, it's this whole lesser of evil ideology. So if people are not given the license by the, you know, media state and the way our politics are run to consider options outside of what's set before them, they're forced into a psychological place where they're trying to pick between all of these mutually unacceptable choices. So it's like, okay, well, if I'm looking at RFK, Biden and Marianne, even though, you know, there is something that's just wrong about all of it. I'm going to have to pick this one. And I think that's where some of that support is coming from. People are so disenchanted with Joe Biden. um, Till they just, and, and he has the Kennedy name and, you know, Marianne's brand has suffered because of the way she has been painted since the last election. And she's a woman that is a part of it. Um, and I just think people aren't really given license. And I really do believe in the way this society works, the way you know, everything happens. You do have to be given license to think outside of some of these boxes. And when you do just take that license for yourself then you become subject of you know all kind of narratives about you this you that you a putin puppet you it is you would you know all
3: the name calling and i really think it's sad i agree i think though with rfk i think it might be even more sinister than that i think they're trying to prop him i think they're trying to prop him up to be like like another bernie sanders where he can take a movement because it's it's swelling like you see, you know, like I watched a debate yesterday with um, Jackson Hinkle and some other Australian dude that debated Ukraine and like the justification for for war. And there was a poll on that on that debate, and people like sixty-something percent were like, "Yeah, this is Russia was justified." You know, and in, and in, in, in invading. Not to say like I, I am anti-war altogether, but to not to look at that situation and to come away from that and say, oh, there was just absolutely no reason whatsoever Russia invaded. They just up and got one day and just said, oh well, hell, what the hell are we gonna do today? Let's just invade. Like, that's not the case. Like there is decades and decades of shit that went on to provoke this. You know what I mean? And and even more so within the last decade, where it was put to pedal to the metal to try to get this to happen. So and that was on our part as a nation. So I mean, like I mean, people who who, who look at that and, and can't, you know what I mean? It's like, and it's like when I see those those type of people take those type of stances. I'm like, I then I asked, do you still think there are weapons of mass destruction? Like, are you that propagandized? Are you that
0: incapable
3: no, of critical thinking? Like No, but you know uh,
0: you know what? You just reminded me of how everyone fell for that back then.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Everyone <laughs> just, just just believed it because
3: yeah.
2: that's what they were told to believe. Exactly. And here we go again. When you think of the role of a free and independent press in a democracy, it is to encourage the debate. It is to encourage the exploration of different ideas. And if you look across our history, that feature of the fourth estate has just disappeared altogether now. And that's why, mm-hmm. that's what I was trying to get at when I kept saying license, because, you know, people are living their everyday lives. They're trying to work, take care of the kids, this and that. And they depended upon the news to at least frame the issues and give people some insight. Mm-hmm. But, you know, just like with 9 11 and going into Iraq, there was no encouragement of a full side debate, and it never right. is when this country gets immersed or involved in acts of war. It's just like, oh, get behind the leader and march. Oh, and support the president. And if you're not, you're, you know, not patriotic in and this net and, and all this jingoism. It's just, you know, and I see it so clearly now because it's so right in your face. Just like with COVID, nobody was encouraged to think or talk about anything outside of what Dr. Fauci was saying. And if you did, there was a price to pay. So it's when you see it, you really do see the fascism and the authoritarianism emerging on all sides. You know, and people just can't see it for
3: whatever the reason. No, they only see one side of it, you yeah. know, where they like where they're going to call. Oh, someone. So is was a fascist like, and this vote. Just forgetting like the, the 18 people in your party that voted with that person, like or more, probably. You know what I mean? It's like it's like it's, it's, the cognitive dissonance is. You know, I don't think people are that stupid. Like you know, they can't be. We we as a nation can't be that stupid, right? Like this is just people who are just uninformed from a media that's owned by corporations, and I think people aren't realizing that. Like our our nation does not realize how strong these corporations are and how much and they control. And I wouldn't say, I don't, th- I agree with you, Tim.
2: I don't think it's that they're that stupid, but I think that's the depth of the programming and it's, uh. it's every which way you look and the group think and the dynamic of if you veer outside of this group think there's going to be some consequences and people just, you know, they just get in line and, you know, salute the flag, follow the leader, bickety, bickety sure. boo.
0: Yeah, we have to keep in mind, too, like uh, most of my friends like this is funny, too, because they actually like watch my show. But most of my friends outside of like them watching me, they didn't even know that Joe Biden had primary challengers. Most of America is asleep. Like most of Americans, they're not paying attention to the presidential race right now.
3: It's, it's kind I wouldn't of say mean, it's clean, right? though. I, I would say they're, they're busy or distracted. You yeah. know, when people have to worry about making ends meet and, you know, they ain't going to worry about, you know, politics stuff. I got to feed my kids. I got to do, you know, I got rent to do. I got, what the hell? I got things I'm worried about. That can't take up right. my brain space.
0: Most of them aren't even going to start paying attention to the presidential race until next year, like to be honest with you guys. So a lot of people, they have no idea they have no idea that joe biden has primary challengers but my thing is it's just like sometimes i think it may be easier for us to forget that because we are in this space and we do pay attention to this like Mm -hmm. pretty much on a regular and but the majority of americans are not watching independent media and uh I, i think it's just like a a reality check you know but i think that you know i did i think i told you guys this like i did reach out to RFK's Jr.'s team. Uh, it was the, I think it was, yeah, it was the week that he announced I reached out. And then I checked back about a week and a half ago and they said, uh, thanks for checking in, Sabrina. FYI, you're in the queue. We'll be in touch uh, soon. And I've been informed that they have, I think they got a long list of people um, asking to to interview him. So you guys know that I'm in the queue. So if you don't see him come on my show, then that means I think mm-hmm. maybe they might have been scared to bring him on. Because I'm not going to be, I'm not going to sugarcoat things. Like, I'm a flat out ask, how do you right. expect to win when you know that the DNC is a private corporation? What's right. your opinion about reparations? And in reference right. to the Israel-Palestine thing, like this whole, well, I I, I erased the tweet because da-da-da, like, no, 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 no. I would have to explain to him what the Palestinian network told us at RBN. And that's the thing, even when it comes to the two-state solution, I remember I used to think that was a viable option as well. I was like, oh yeah, that makes Mm -hmm. sense. But I had to educate myself and other people have educated me. People who are Palestinian have educated me, explained to me why that would not work. So that's the thing. And if I explain this to you and you still say, no family tradition <laughs> we, right. we we back israel family tradition then i'm just kind of That's looking you like right what? you get a side like
3: that <laughs>
0: yeah, so just like <laughs> f you to the palestinian people did you guys notice that when pasta asked him that question i forgot to mention this tonight notice how after he gave his statement he talked about how he supports israel Did you guys notice that Pasta had to come back and ask him in Palestine?
3: Yeah. right.
0: He wasn't even thinking about
3: it. No. Like it wasn't wasn't even, like I don't think he was expecting that question in the media like that, in that setting. And here's the other thing in terms of framing. When people are questioning
2: what's going on with the Israel-Palestinian situation, They are generally talking about the extreme violence. They're talking about the Palestinian American journalist, Abu Akleh, who was killed and nothing is going on. And, Mm -hmm. but the, the knee jerk response from the political state is we support Israel. It's almost like a program Mm -hmm. message. We support Israel. Israel has a right to exist. And so The framing of it is always as if Israel is under some, you know, existential threat from Palestine, when that is just not the reality. People are being killed every day. But it's, it's that program response. I support this. I support that. And so I imagine if you're everyday Jane, you know, trying to do the laundry and discipline the kids, if you're walking through the room and hear the TV, what you're going to hear is, I support, I support Israel's right to exist. Everybody has a right to exist. And like you suggest, Abby, to have to come back on a um, rebut and say, but what about Palestine? And then mm-hmm. it's always something far less, oh, peace for Palestine is good for everybody and this and that. But you never hear anybody just standing forward, flat-footed and saying, oh, I support Palestinians' right to exist in their own state and blah, blah, blah. And and I think, at least to my thinking, when I think of a two-state st- solution, I'm saying redraw the boundaries in accordance with, um, I think it was the 1947 Accord or what have you, or 67, and stand up an army and get the UN involved and get these major superpowers involved so that the state of Palestine operates free of all of this encroachment from Israel. Because Israel is just moving further and further and further. And so I do think, you know, in order to do anything like justice, you are going to have to create that space. You know, that's like saying in terms of the enslavement of Africans in America, oh yeah, I support American. you know, in the abolishing of slavery. But then what did you do? Not a damn thing. You set them free and as, um, you know, I forget his name, Frederick Douglass said, they were free To inherit the wind and the rain. So (laughs) you could say, oh, but we abolished slavery. But what did you do to stand up the descendants of slaves? You have done nothing. So when you think about it, the position of this nation on Israel is consistent with the way it has handled its crime against humanity. Yeah, if you just bring it to a close, that's enough. No, that's not enough. You need to do something to make people whole that's what justice is all about but it's like in this country and when you think about it it's really um an atrocity that knee deep into the 20th century we were still fighting just for equal accommodations in public spaces we were fighting you know to be able to ride the bus and sit at the lunch counter and i'm like that far removed from slavery. We were still fighting for public accommodations. You know, if you say reparations, everybody gonna pull their hair out because we just just got the, the right to ride on the bus.
0: I was also gonna say, thought about the indigenous people in the United States. And I thought about how like, obviously Europeans colonizers took their land from them And then later on, the agreement was we'll just give them after you you tried to kill all of them first. And then the ones that was the the response was just let's just put them on reservations and give them casinos. That's what this kind of reminds me of when I think about this idea of, oh, well, Israel needs to have their borders. And let's just let, you know, the Palestinian people, you know, I appreciate their efforts, but let them just stay where they're at. What the fuck is that?
3: Right.
2: Some American mess. It's imperialism.
3: It's imperialism. imperialism.
2: It It is imperialism. It's just like the the royal family out of England. You know, you want to go to all these territories and still be welcome and received. And but people are like, hold on. It's not just enough to say, okay, you know, we'll let you have your liberty and freedom. It's just like France and Haiti. You got France is being paid reparations by Haiti yep. what up that's so upside down and twisted that is not what justice is even about, nope. and it just bothers <laughs> me that it all across the Western world, because of their um ties to imperialism and capitalism and white supremacy and this and that they there is this generalized perception that the cessation of war or the cessation of violence is enough. No, that's step 1. People mm-hmm. need to be made whole. That's the just mm-hmm. thing to do.
3: Yeah. And, and you know what as far as far as this thing goes with the you know with the war and all that I used to be that guy that was like oh we need the protector but I thought we were out there you know we We're invading countries for freedom and for democracy because they needed our help. And after I got educated on it and realized what actually is really going on, it's just like, you know, when this Ukraine thing first kicked off, before I knew anything about Ukraine, there was a protest happening downtown here in Portland where I live, and uh, Portland, Oregon, and a Ukrainian man was you know, going to, trying to find where the protest was. And he asked me where it was. And then I was like, oh, and I was like, it's, I don't know. I haven't seen anybody. And then he goes, do you support Ukraine? Like that. And I was like, I support Ukrainian people, but I don't, I don't support war. And he goes, well, what about, he goes, you don't want, you don't want You don't want America to go in to save them. And then I said, look at every country America went in to save. It, pull up any of them like put you know but afghanistan we went to go save them we went to go save libya and syria and you know all of south america basically and latin america like we went to go save those countries and bring them democracy but what happened like look at look at the turmoil that's left so i asked them i go you really do you really want the u.s to go into your country with bombs like you think that's going to be good for your country in any way at any capacity
0: and let me tell no, you guys, too, quiet. Like, the other thing that kind of bothers me is just like this statement, Israel has a right to exist. It just makes me feel some kind of way. It's just like, so the Palestinians and like Palestine doesn't have the right to exist, like Roger was right about that. Like, it just makes me feel like, you know, you to say, I, I support Israel and my family has a long relationship with them and so make new ones make new relationships but you basically to me you're just giving the middle finger to the Palestinian people like like they don't mean a damn and that that really bothers me like how can you be okay with that how can you say how can you say yes you would lift the cuban embargo on day one so you understand that that is something that is hurting people in cuba but you're not willing to make changes That would, you know, combat like the pain that Palestinians are going through. And by the way, it's not just Palestinians. And if I interviewed him, I would also ask him about the Ethiopian Jews who are also in Israel, who are also have have like racist attacks committed towards them Mm -hmm. that other independent journalists have covered and shown video footage on the ground. Like it's not Mm -hmm. just the Palestinians.
2: Right. What is really, you know, the big picture when you really look at it when you compare people who have been the victims of crimes against humanity, the Jews in the Holocaust, the descendants Mm -hmm. of slaves in the United States, the indigenous peoples in the United States, the people in Haiti, when you look at the repair that each of these groups received, only one group was really repaired. And it's interesting to Mm -hmm. me that the repair of one group manifested in the creation of a nation state and reparations paid Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. and way into the future, you know, people were still going after the people who perpetrated this thing. But when it comes to everybody else is, oh, that's too far. That's ancient history. We can't do nothing, this, that, and a third. But with one specific group, oh, we can move mountains. And did. We'll take some of somebody else's land and create for you. And I know the long history of the Jews in terms of, you know, back to the biblical ages and this, that and a third. But I'm saying oppression is oppression. Crimes against humanity are crimes against humanity. And you need to demonstrate The same type of humanity in dealing with these other people. But again, it materializes out of that, you know, white supremacist thing. And it's just it's so difficult for me to, you know, try and take all of this seriously because it is so easily and obviously flawed in terms of the discourse (laughs) around these issues. You know, I'm not asking for perfection, but I'm saying we need to be consistent in terms of how we discuss these things, because it is that consistent handling that lays the foundation for the right treatment. You know, we see what this nation did for the Japanese in turn during World War II. You know, they were recognized for having been wronged, and there was an attempt to make them whole. And the, the and you know, it's another problem for me is that when it comes to reparations for the descendants of slaves, it's always made a big public discourse. So you can trigger white angst. But when this country mm-hmm. did what it did for the Japanese, it wasn't put to a big public discourse and we got to see what everybody think. Is everybody on board? They just did it. But now when it comes to us, and that's why I say all of American politics is framed around white angst and white grievance. And the Democrats do it just as well as the Republicans. But another thing, and I didn't want to lose this point while it's on my mind, the Tara Reid thing to me is so troubling because it is so McCarthyist. You know, now that there's this aggression, this proxy war going on, you know, Russia is always our eternal um, nemesis. And so everything is, you know, if you say the word Russia, everybody got to look twice at you. And I, I see her and this country does not do well with whistleblowers. Let me tell you, when I look at Eric Snow, Julian Assange, Terry Reed, I see a cord connecting all through these situations. And when the elite get caught, there are ways made to get them free. Yep. And it and it goes on the international level with the exposures of WikiLeaks. It comes down to, you know, what Edward Snowden did to try and alert people to the excesses mm-hmm. of the in, intelligent state. You know, it's just it's just I don't even know how we continue to call this a democracy, but that was very troubling. And it's also troubling to me because what's happening to Tara Reed, like what's happening to Julian Assange represents a failure again of the free and independent press. They should be lighting a fire under the governance structures so that the narrative can be made available and some semblance of justice. But we can't even, again, we can't even have the real open discourse because the media is so in alignment and in cahoots with the government till there is, you know, there is no difference, no space between the two. The narratives are coming out of the government and coming presented to you by way of corporate media. And so you have nowhere to turn, like she was saying, you know, when I tried to go to the media, there's nobody who wants to to deal with it. And I feel it in my own personal circumstance, because if I as I have tried to go to the media in my situation, they just simply don't respond. And I'm like, how does this work? How does how how is this democratic when we can't even have the debate?
3: It's it's crazy.
4: Do you have
2: a
3: billion dollars?
0: (laughs) Well, the other thing, too, I want people to really think about is the fact that what happened to Tara Reid could happen to you. What happened to Julian Assange could happen to you. Like It could have been any, any one of us. You could have been Tara Reid, and you could be the one right now whose life is being threatened, and you can't come back to the United
2: States. It hasn't gotten to that point with me yet in this circumstance, but certainly... I feel a connectivity because I am being silenced, I'm being canceled. You know, I've reached out to all the political elected officials here including Chantel Brown and these people at this low level that I'm at, they simply just do not respond. Some so many times I feel smothered and I feel like the silence of the weak is in support of the wicked. And I'm saying this has happened. I can prove it. I have the facts. But these people just simply ignore you. And if the media does not report the story, you're just screaming in a vacuum. Because the masses of people locally never hear about it. And that's why I feel like I say sometimes I feel smothered and choked and just isolated. But, um... Ooh, it, it, I understand exactly. And and when I think and I try and put myself in Tara Reid's shoes or Edward Snowden um, or Julian Assange, these people who have or Chelsea Manning, these people who had to have suffered greatly in terms of their lives being turned upside down. I am like, but it's happening at the very low level with me as it does at the very extreme high level with Julian Assange's all the same theme work. It's the same thing.
0: It's so sad. And I saw um, whoever said in the chat they want us to feel isolated. This is 100% true. And Tara Reid, in many ways, was isolated, not just from, you know, employment, not just from the mainstream media but also in independent media. She was isolated a lot of times like she was on her own and you know I give kudos to Kim to Kim Iverson for giving her a, an opportunity for giving her a chance to even like not just to be one of her producers but also like she hosted like on Kim's show for giving her the opportunity to have a voice. Because so many other people did not want to touch it. They're like, I don't want to bring her on this show because that's going to open up so many can of worms and the Democratic Party might not be happy with me and I may lose access to certain Democrat politicians if I bring Tara Reid on this show. It just, to me, it's just very, I just, I don't know. Like, you know, I wish Tara Reid the best. I hope things go well for her you know, where she is, but like Edward Snowden, I don't think that she'll be able to come back to this country without being interrogated heavily. And they'll try to make her life a living hell, you know, once again. And then this doesn't even talk about not just the physical threats, but the mental like strain that
2: Oh my God. It, it, it is it is overbearing And if you don't have an extremely strong constitution and a deep and abiding faith in something beyond the three dimensions that we function in, I can see how people literally lose their mind. You know, the, the, the dissonance and the discord and disaffection that begins to germinate. You really have to work hard to salvage your own humanity. Because again, like in my situation, I'm saying, I know the facts, I know I haven't done anything wrong. And to see, so the system just turn me upside down and you know ignore me as if I'm some type of lunatic and then when I think about those types of um, constructs being amplified in the lives of people like Julian Assange, and this, I mean, he's literally had his life taken from him. There, there is no way to do justice because you cannot restore what he has lost in simple terms of life and quality of life. And so just like in Tara Reed's case, if you're speaking a truth, or you're even making an allegation that they don't want to hear, they can materialize and manifest obstacles in your life. And it's like, wow, but but how can we have a democracy if we can't even talk about it? Everybody, has a, everybody is considered innocent until proven guilty, but you have to damn have the investigation. You have to talk about it but you don't do that when you know that what you have done is wrong you cover your tracks and it's and everybody is so afraid you know and you know i say it as i meditate and think through my own situation i came to the conclusion that fear is the currency that the wicked use to purchase the silence of the weak and it is the silence that becomes the mortar that binds the weak to the wicked in the walls of injustice. And that's as simple as I can put it, but it, it really is. And it's just, you know, I, this is not a functioning democracy. And I think the person who frames it best is Chris Hedges and he frames it consistently, but we are in such a sad, sad place and if you aren't in a space such as this, Savvy, where we talk about these things freely and openly, you really do feel like you're losing your mind because everybody else just ain't on it. And they don't want to hear it. They don't want to talk about it because it becomes too much for them to think about. In addition to, as Tim has said, they're surviving their working jobs, trying to take care of the children. They just don't have the emotional and psychological bandwidth to process all of this other stuff, which is why it is so critical, you know, the organization and mobilization and education piece of movement building, because you have to take and compartmentalize that stuff and feed it to the masses in a way that they can just do what they need to do and not have to try and do all the heavy duty processing.
0: That's right. Anything else you wanna add, Tim?
3: Um, I just had one more comment regarding um, RFK. This has been a great discussion tonight, ladies. Um, In the same way RFK is wrong on Israel and Palestine, he's also wrong on Medicare for all, you know, with the whole trying to, you know, be play both sides with the, I'm for Medicare for all. And then, And also for private insurance for people who want that. You know what I mean? Because I used to believe that that was also a good thing too until it was explained on why that is a bad thing and how that would cause inequality. So again, like it's the same thing. He's wrong on that and he's wrong in the same way on this. And I don't know, I don't think it's just misinformed. I think it's literally, he's probably trying to either one, he's just a dishonest person or two he's trying to play politics as if it's the 90s still i don't know but
0: i don't think he. i don't think it's misinformed either because if i remember correctly right. i thought jfk at one point wanted to push forward some type of universal health care i have to go back and, and check that it. yeah i have to go back and check that but no you're right i don't, I don't think he's ill-informed. you're right i thought so roger so did truman
5: but teddy roosevelt was the first to propose a nationalized health care system so that was over 100 years ago
0: and that's another thing that i would ask him as someone who was an environmental lawyer you've seen the devastation that you know some of these communities indigenous communities low-income black communities have been poisoned by environmental Mm. disasters right just like flint He's been working on this stuff for years. So as an environmental lawyer, and you've seen these catastrophes and how they've affected like these communities, then if anything, you should definitely advocate for Medicare for all because you know the medical expenses that these people are going to have to deal with after the fact, even after the cleanup have, have begun, right? Do people in Flint, Michigan have Medicare for all? No, they don't. Do people in East Palestine, Ohio have Medicare for all?
3: No, they don't, but they should. What are you talking about? Obama went to play and drank the water. It was good. It <laughs> seems good. Did you say, Tim, did you say progress when I said what I said? <laughs> yes. <Yeah, laughs> I was being facetious.
1: <laughs> no, I figured you were.
3: <laughs> I'm saying that that's the progress, that's the Democrat strategy. He said, progress. Tim got
5: jokes. <laughs> he said progress, like with such confidence. Progress.
3: <laughs> Alrighty. I'll let y'all go on to your next callers. Thank you so much. You guys have a lovely evening. Keep up the fight.
0: <laughs> Thanks, Tim. Um, okay, I'm gonna bring in um new
6: Hi. Um, so I just wanted to talk about RFK Jr. and the U.S. like, candidates in the system broadly. So I'm Canadian and I'm Muslim and just look like the moment um, he gave his, you know, sort of scripted response on Israel-Palestine and how he even tried to avoid talking about Palestine until Pasta was like, and, and the Palestinians, right? Um, that's when I realized this man has no backbone, nothing. Like, my father always says, and I mean, and it's in no ways an anti-Semitic remark, but just kind of a factual thing. Of, he's like, if you go against the Israeli lobby, like... There is no way in hell you're gonna be able to have any kind of power um, and and the other thing that I was kind of thinking about was that the man who killed his father, Sirhan Sirhan, was a Palestinian, and so I wonder how that plays into his. Um, thinking, his emotions. Do we, uh, uh, Nusrat, do we know that for sure? Because I heard that, but I didn't know for sure. Oh. Well, that's the other thing. There's the whole thing of like how Sirhan Sorhan may not have been the shooter or may have been the shooter, but he was like under some sort of influence. Uh, I think one of our uh, RFK siblings is okay with Sirhan Sirhan being granted parole. There's all of that as well.
5: Um, Newsrock, can I respond to that real quick? Yes, of course. Watch the interview that um, Mike Tyson gives to RFK Jr. on that particular subject because uh, his thing is called Hotboxing with Mike Tyson. Okay. And he said, "Okay, I'm I'm trying to go off a of memory here, but he said that all eight bullets." out of Sirhan Sirhan's gun were all accounted for and none of them went into his dad. However, the, the the bullets were to the back of his dad's head and the person who was holding his dad's arm was a security guy who had a gun in his hand and but they were never able to find that gun and the guy was um they, 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 they somehow they found out that he was connected to the mob connected to the cia something like that mm-hmm. um i heard it once i heard but just just if you can find rfk junior interview with uh, mike tyson there's mike Ty- mike tyson hot boxing um he talks about that so those are those are his words so you know he was like no it was the cia that did it and that guy who was supposed to be protecting his dad the security guy who was holding his arm had a gun in his hand and the shots came from the back of his hand and they couldn't find the gun that was when to do the ballistics when they went to look for the gun, the guy didn't have it anymore. He, he got rid of it.
6: Oh, interesting. I
0: didn't well, know uh, Mike Tyson had a podcast. <laughs> yeah.
6: Um. Okay. Well that clears that up. Uh, Cause I also felt like he just harbored ill feelings towards Palestinians in general because of Sirhan Sirhan. But Um, still, I mean, like looking at Dennis Kucinich just with his arms crossed and that slight smile he had, I feel like maybe it's very cynical of me, but I feel like he also had that response. If I'm going to be terrible to him, that he's really doing this because he really wants to win. Um, he really believes that there's a path to the White House for him. And so he does not want to jeopardize um, his chances in any way. But that's my two cents coming from. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah, I
0: could see that. I just I, I don't know about this. Like, I, you know, I'm surprised to be honest with
6: you. I'm surprised he answered the question. But he answered the question with a non-response, essentially. Just, I believe in the right of the Palestinians to exist and, like, the the Israel to exist and Palestinian aspirations. Like, that's not really answering the question. And I even wonder if he really believes, like, if if you, because a lot of people do not believe that Israel is an apartheid state. A lot of people believe that that's that's, um, an anti-Semitic thing to say. Uh, A lot of people believe that that there is no genocide against the Palestinian people when, you know, you apply genocide theory and a lot of human rights lawyers have pointed that out. Like, I just wonder if he even, like, if that's the premise he's even, like, considering when he answers the question.
0: But, um, Nusrat, have they not seen the videos? I mean, like, the videos are everywhere of, like, Palestinians being dragged out of their homes and are they just unaware?
6: I think it's, again, I think it, they, they just don't have that framework. Like, you can see things, you can see, like, for example, I'm Bangladeshi and there's footage of the Bangladeshi genocide in 1971, you know, from the Pakistani military, um, when we used to be one country. And to this day, like, left-leaning Pakistani, like, journalists and historians will be like, You know, you could say that what happened was a genocide. You could say that, whereas like no one else debates it other than like them. And so there's this cognitive dissonance that I think can happen in people. And so I think that's probably what's happening with him. It's like he's seeing it, but he's just not really believing it or processing the information the same way.
0: I I guess so. I just, Mm -hmm. I, you know, I have to wonder where the narrative comes from, Nusrat. Like, I I really do. You know, I had this conversation with my dad a while back. um, And my dad was, you know, explaining to me, he was like, regardless of what mainstream media says, he said, the thing is, Israel is wrong. And he's like, what they're doing right now to the Palestinian people, he's like, this is wrong. And I don't understand why more people just can't
6: say that.
1: Um,
6: Well, I mean, Jeremy Corbyn tried to and look what happened to him. Right. Like that is why. And. Yes, go ahead.
5: Yeah, I looked it up. It said this video has been removed for violating YouTube's community guidelines. I was going to put it in the chat
0: the mike tyson video yeah damn youtube removed mike tyson that that particular
5: that particular interview with rfk jr he they did
0: i wonder if they talked about vaccines
5: i think it might have to do with the, the the with the cia killing his dad to be honest with you
0: I don't know. I, those I, those videos are still up. Like, those videos are still up on other people's channels. That's why I'm wondering if they mentioned anything about the vaccines. They'll pull that.
7: Well, um...
5: Uh, ask Mike Tyson on your show. <laughs> Just have him stay far away. <laughs> Jeez.
0: Well... What do do you think about this in reference to the the parties at hand, and in in reference to, you know, Marianne Williamson? You know, one of the things that Bree did ask me if I feel like there's some type of differential treatment towards RFK Jr. Marianne in reference to how they feel about Israel and Palestine. And I think part of the problem is that it seems like a lot of people didn't realize that he had this view until that tweet went out Um, in reference to Roger Waters. But then also, I also feel like even when I have explained this to people, they still are like, well, Sabrina, there's no such thing as a perfect candidate. And I'm like, wait a minute now. Like, what happened to having morals, though? What happened to humanity? Like, what happened to those things? Like, they're like, well, he's the best shot we got. And I'm like, no, you guys are just standing for a politician. I see this happening. I see that Bernie fever starting to happen with RFK Jr. where people are just they're idolizing him as a person and it's already gotten to the point where they can dismiss his views on this particular topic because they like him as a person.
6: Yeah. I just think that, for example, the the vibe I'm getting is I was 15 when Obama ran for president and naive 15 year old me genuinely thought he was going to be the next Malcolm X. You know um, I think we project and we romanticize. And I think that, Uh, I agree with Noel that part of the whole thing with Marianne is that she is a woman. Um, I think that it just, you can have kooky views and as a man, you're seen as like an out of box thinker, but as a woman, you're just seen as kooky. Um, But I think in terms of giving RFK a pass versus Marianne is that he is willing to normalize relations with Cuba and block, uh, uh, remove the blockade. He is willing to, uh, go against the grain when it comes to Ukraine, whereas Marianne is still very much run of the mill when it comes to her foreign policy. There's nothing uh, that really sets her apart from any other uh, mainstream politician. I, so I think, yeah, so I think because, again, that whole argument of RFK seems like he can be persuaded, um, I think there's that. And I think because we are, like, right now there's drone strikes over Moscow, there's drone strikes over Ukraine, uh, Kiev, and it's, like, we're entering, like, another hot war type of situation or at least a Cold War for sure. We're we're in, in the second Cold War. Um, And so I think this is where dynasty politics comes in, I think, because he is a Kennedy. And if you listen to, like, the podcast Blowback and you listen to just, like, the, the complex person that Kennedy was, the complex person that Fidel Castro was, that Khrushchev was, I think people kind of think that a complex person like RFK is going to be the solution to getting us out of this mess. So in that sense, I think people, again, are projecting and writing a story in their minds as to how things are going to go without enough evidence.
2: That's interesting.
0: Uh, Roger, I want to get your oh, go ahead, Noel. I was going to say, go I
2: think I, Tim said something that is really seeped into my consciousness. And that is there's something I think a little more sinister afloat here with RFK, because when you think about it, the Democrats love a good ship sheep um, dog. And I think to the degree that there's some deference being shown to him, it is because if he is amassing 20% anywhere near the high teens, they're going to need him in the end to endorse and and push those people into the slaughterhouse to support, you know, tumbling Joe Biden. And so I think that that may be a part of what it is. But I also think, you know, we discuss routinely how the system is so flawed in such egregious ways and then on the separate side we are we have a discussion almost as if we believe these things in terms of the electoral process are real. And I have to continue to remind myself that this is all a big charade. And the people who are attempting to play parts in this kabuki theater, they know it's a game. And so they're trying to, you know, not ruffle the feathers of the Israel lobby and try to, this tightrope they're trying to walk to at least create the illusion of some type of electability or what have you. But they all, you cannot know that the DNC rigs elections and then throw your head in the ring and talk about it as if this is a legitimate race you know right. what's going on so uh, it, it really is kind of it begs you to even take it seriously in terms of the moves that these people are making and the statements they're making because it's like hold on y'all know this is some effed up rigged up shit just like we do but you got to do this to play the game but, you know, it's just a crazy kind of thing to try and discuss these things in reality, but knowing that there is another reality that undermines the whole thing.
0: Well said, Noel. I think that's a good point. It's like his speech that he gave at New Hampshire at the Senate as well, you know, just kind of struck me in a certain way. When he says, like, you know, Americans believe that the system is rigged and it's fixed. Because it is like, it just just, like, he's like, we got to change that. And we got to fix our democracy. Like, you know, I I feel like you're serious. If you come to me and you say, we're going to work on a plan to get big money out of electoral politics. If you come to me and you say that we're going to do free public financing of elections and we're going to push for that. Oh, and by the way, when you lose and you will, if the DNC lets rfk junior win that's when you know he already been sold out there's been agreements made but i don't think that will happen i think they will prevent someone like him from getting in so when you lose are you still going to be in this fight or are you just going to go back to being a lawyer like everybody else that loses um go ahead roger
8: yeah
5: so now it's funny I said, um, public financing of elections because I was just reading, um, my, uh, my state news, right? And so back in 2020, I think it was, uh, New York state passed some, uh, public financing of election law that's set to go into effect for law, state lawmakers 2024. And, uh, um, what do you call it, lawmaker? Uh, the, those who run for state you know, run statewide in 2026 and they didn't even have a chance to go into effect yet and they're already looking to to, uh weaken it okay these are not republicans doing this This is this is democrats who's doing this to their own law that they passed um so uh yeah but yeah so but here's something else though um does anybody know about what happened in the supreme court today
0: i do not what happened
5: okay so in a blow to unions supreme court rules company can pursue strike damage claim the ruling means glacier northwest incorporated can sue over its claim that wet concrete loaded onto trucks was rendered useless after workers walked off the job now they well they did leave it rolling for for that purpose but anyway In a loss for organized labor, the Supreme Court on Thursday ruled in favor of a concrete company in Washington State seeking to revive a lawsuit against the International Brotherhood of Teamsters, alleging that a strike damaged its product. The 8-1 to decision uh, written by Justice Amy Coney, Coney Barrett means the company Glacier Northwest Incorporated can pursue a lawsuit against the union in state court over an August 2017 strike in which drivers walked off the job, leaving wet concrete in their trucks. The company claims the union is liable for what it says was intentional damage to its product. Barrett, one of the court's six conservatives, wrote that a state court was wrong to dismiss the claims as at such an early stage in proceeding. In proceedings based on its concern that the claim conflicted with the National Labor Relations Act, the federal law that protects union activity. Because the union took affirmative steps to endanger glaciers property rather than reasonable precautions to mitigate that risk, the NLRA does not arguably protect its conduct, Barrett wrote. Organized labor advocates had raised concerns that a ruling in favor of the company would stifle strike action by opening up unions to damages, damages claims for a wide variety of potential losses employers can face as a result of such activities. Liberal Justice uh, Katanji Brown Jackson dissented. She was the only one that dissented, saying the ruling risk erosion of the right to strike. Jackson's two liberal colleagues, Kagan and Sotomayor, joined the court's conservative justice in the majority. Jackson pointed out that the National Labor Relations Board issued a complaint after the state court ruling charging the company with unfair labor practices and saying the driver's actions were arguably protected. By ruling in favor of the company, the court inserts itself into this conflict proceeding to opine on the proprietary of the union strike activity, despite not being the best place to weigh the facts, she wrote. This case is Exhibit A as to why the board and not the court should ordinarily take the first crack at resolving contentious, fact-bound labor disputes of this nature, she added. The dispute centers on an incident in which members of Teamsters Local 174 went on strike after negotiations broke down over a new collective bargaining agreement. When truck drivers walked off the job, the company says some of the concrete already being delivered was rendered useless. Drivers returned trucks to the company's facility, some of which had partial or full loads on board. As a result of the strike, concrete was left in the truck and had to be removed, to harden and then be broken up before it could be disposed of the company says the union says uh okay there's a there's a whole lot here but pretty much um what do you call i'll put it in the chat but but pretty much you know it's going to be expensive to strike now because now um they can sue you for loss of profits you know they, they could make up anything because oh because you struck we lost profits and of course that's the Whole reasoning to to, to strike, but, um, but
0: even how was that even allowed to to pass?
5: Uh, I, I don't know. I mean, it was it's a corporate friendly court. That's that's all I could tell you. Mm. You heard of me, but yeah. Um, but but you know they they, they protect that, You know the SCOTUS is bodyguards to corporations. So here's the this is the reason why I say we've lost this fight with unionization, which is why we had, we need to go straight to owning the means of production and go toward cooperative ownership to inoculate our rights from uh, our workers' rights from the Supreme Court. Because when the workers own the business, it's going to be hard to rule against the, to rule against the workers when the workers own own the whole thing. You know what I mean? So, I mean, it's just like they've taken... They've taken every way they can now to to rail against against uh, uh, striking pretty much. So it's just like that's going to cost you even more. So I just say
2: go straight to cooperative ownership, which is why I say plantation nation. Nation.
5: I had to finish that for you. <laughs> but, yeah, we're going to have to do that. We're going to have to. Um, go straight to uh, you know, like one of my one of my um plans is we run a CBI for a public bank, and one of the things that we have for it is to um a special lending program specifically for co-op startups and to lend uh to workers who wish to purchase their company. Also, the Supreme Court a while back gave state attorney generals to revoke corporate charters. Okay, because the corporate charter is not a right; it's a it's a privilege that the government can take away for any type of egregious activity. You know what I mean? So, these are the things that you know, like that 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 is happening. You know, like on the ground, right underneath the nose. Because you got to remember, this is June, so this is when all the Supreme Court decisions are happening. Um, just last week, when I read to you that thing about. Um, they narrowed the scope of how the EPA can um, regulate waterways. And it's like, okay, you can regulate those waters, but you can't regulate those waters. Right. You know so this is the stuff that's that, that's happening right underneath, you know, like our noses as we're paying attention to stuff that's not even gonna matter with the with the with the uh, with with the presidential election. You know what I mean? Unless unless uh, something well, I ain't gonna say whatever, unless these Supreme Court justices decide that they're going to quit. Let me just say that, you know, but then again, does it really matter because it's going to be, you're going to replace them with, with another crop of corporate friendlies. Because you see Kagan and Sotomayor voted in favor of the corporation. You know what I mean? So it doesn't really matter who's the president and who's this, what party the Senate is when it comes to these. Um, I, I will say those lower courts seem to always get it right. You know, the lower courts got it right in Bush v. Gore, the Florida Supreme Court. They got it right. Supreme Court came in there. That was the first decision that they made that, like, this entire century so far, we've gotten into all of this crap because of bad, terrible Supreme Court decisions. I mean, mm-hmm. Bush v. Gore was the first one. Then, you know, like uh, Citizens United and um, crushing of the Voting Rights Act. Uh well, I said Citizens United, uh, uh some other stuff. <laughs> this stuff. Um, you know, um um just weakening of 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 strengthening of of corporate. Oh, by the way, I don't know if you saw it yet, Sabrina. But I had sent you um I, I know I sent you a lot of stuff and you don't get a chance to watch it, whatever, right? But I sent you two things from Larry Sharp's show with them debating um, due dissonance. That was That was pretty good it was kind of like a back and forth you know it wasn't like hostile or anything like that it's like the first hour they was like kind of like agreeing or whatever the case is but then the second hour they was kind of like going back and forth because it's like yeah it's 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 like one party like if you're on the right all you see is big government big government bad if you're on the left you just see big business big business mad right But someone like myself, I say it doesn't really matter, you know, like whether it's big government or big business. If we do not control either entities through direct, you, through direct democracy using ranked choice voting for elections, citizen ballot initiatives for governance and cooperative ownership. When it comes to business, you're going to get screwed by both.
0: Right. Those are all good points. I want to make sure I bring back in um, Nusrat. Uh, Go ahead and unmute. I just wanted to make sure you, because I wanted to make sure you got to say everything you wanted to say.
6: Yeah, um, that was really it for me. All I wanted to also just echo Maggie Cobbler. Um, If you do have a panel on uh, Israel-Palestine and with regards to RFK, Junior, Marianne, um, I would highly recommend that you get neoliberal tiers on uh on the panel because he's really informed and he's an israeli himself who lived in israel and uh has a lot of important insights to offer
0: oh awesome i'll reach out to neoliberal then yeah thank you so much for that
6: take care sabrina take care roger bye noel see you
0: all right. Thank you so much. Let's go ahead and bring in uh, Melody. Melody, thank you so much for being uh, so patient. Uh, just have to unmute and let me know uh, your take on this. This has been an interesting discussion. I mean, I know it can be pretty hot topic issue here, but hopefully Hello? we come to some consensus.
9: Hello. Hi. Good evening. Hey, how are you? Pretty good. How are you?
0: I'm doing great. What's your take on all of this? And uh, you know, how do you feel about
9: you know some um, of the
0: statements that have been made?
9: Oh, I could uh I could see the little crushing of uh, pasta's heart right there without answer just because I know he's been uh kind of uh, you know uh fighting with um what's her name? Uh I forget her name. The one that is on RT. His partner, oh, his, Figueroa. Been crying there. yeah, Figueroa. Yeah, I forgot. Um, anyways, yeah, he's been kind of arguing with her about it, like, ah, you know, he could be this and that. So he's 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 kind of been um, um an RFK, you know, fan, but um, I don't think it's. I kind of just figure like this is really early on. I don't really think that. Uh. You know, I hear things and I kind of pay a little of attention, but I don't I don't put a lot of effort into knowing everything about what's going on with the presidential thing. I feel like if he makes it to the past, the primary and he's in the general, then, you know, I'll, I'll I'd will i probably vote for him I'm pretty much anybody but Biden at this point. Um <laughs> But other than that, I just really don't I'm like I'm I'm just like we're beyond any kind of any kind of solution with these presidents or anything like that, I think that really everything's going to have to collapse and we're going to have to start over, just honestly. But uh, it's disappointing um, because if you you can't be for uh, civil rights and human rights if you're with that. I'd like to see him go and volunteer over there for a week and see if he comes back with the same answer. But I think also it has a lot to do with – somebody said it in the chat earlier with his wife, because if you think about it, his wife uh, knew Epstein and uh, Epstein had a lot to do with Israel. So, you know, that his whole ex-wife. Ho-
0: his ex-wife. Yeah. His ex-
9: yeah. His ex-wife. Yeah. So, I mean, the whole, the whole crew in Hollywood over there, they're, they're, you know, big on Israel. And I mean, I would be even satisfied if, you know, it, um, If you said that you know um, I would support Israel if they stop the violence and just stay out of it, don't give them any aid, let them figure out their problems themselves. Don't give them weapons; just let them figure it out. Because I'm I'm pretty like non-interventional, you know. Like I just don't want I just don't want us funding anything. I don't want bio labs all over the damn place. I don't want our money going everywhere. Like, I just want people to be able to figure out their own problems and for us to be able to figure out our own problems, you know, and I think, um, by us, you know, sending them aid and, you know, uh, um, not condoning that really enabled that behavior to continue to happen. And, um, you know, uh, Lavrov at the UN meeting, there was a bunch of countries that, that, um, condoned uh, Israel's behavior and what they were doing over there and um it was the first time i've ever seen so many people speak out against their behavior um and uh i think once all this multipolar world starts happening or whatever uh you know i think they're they're going to lose their their place and then i wonder like what do they have on like our country that people are so quick to back them. I, I I'm just curious, like, what do they do for us that, you know, like they're keeping that over us, you know what I mean? Like as far as our government, like what shady shit are they doing? You know,
0: that's a really good question. question. Melody. I don't know. I, I do know. A we yeah, have a we to them. Them.
9: Oh, I think you have an echo. Oh, sorry. I was walking in the garage.
0: I think we have a relationship with them in reference to oil.
9: Right. Well, so, yeah, so I, mean, I mean,
0: birds of a feather
9: flock country. together. I just think this is
0: all going to be interesting considering that other countries are starting to move forward in a different direction and yeah. they're not uh, leaning on the United States for, you know, orders anymore. Like, for example, there's BRICS, obviously, but yeah. even Saudi Arabia.
9: Yeah. And that no people, yeah, that's, that's insane. And we're in a very dangerous time, Savvy. Like I'm very, very, uh, concerned because, uh, we got people like Lindsey Graham out there talking all that crazy, you know, this is really not okay. And I, what I'm working on here is I want to I, I don't even think there's a possibility of it actually happen happening, but like I want to cause attention to it, but I'm going to try to like, um, recall, uh, my state senator, Ron Wyden, because, uh, if I can get enough signatures and, and there's not, there's never been anybody recalled like your state senator. I don't even think you're allowed to do that, but I'm, I'm looking into it just because they're putting us at risk and they're not representing us and, uh, You can't talk to them you know they're going over there just you know a lot it's it's really bad it's just really bad and they're not able to they don't have no reverse gear you know and this is very very scary uh they're Mm -hmm. they're saying it's not okay to be over there sending bombs into moscow and stuff this is you know we're we're in a very scary time i have a grandbaby uh, you know, and then su- whatever we got going on in Sudan, we got a bio lab over there and some like rebel people took it over. Who the hell knows what's in that thing? This is crazy. Yeah, I know. I,
0: I, know. I, 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 t- t- I talked about that. Uh, I think I talked about Sudan, talked about Sudan maybe Sudan. like a yeah, month.
9: Yeah. Maybe like a month or two ago. ago. Yeah. It's still happening. There's still crazy stuff going on over there. Yeah, I know.
0: It's crazy because like most people don't even know about it. Yeah. And they're they're pointing to that, and people are saying like that's going to be the next proxy war.
9: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, that in Mexico we got we got um these uh m- like they're not javelins, they're like uh anti aircraft missile things with the cartel that came from Ukraine. That this Mexican uh, TV channel had had them on there like pictures of these cartel guys from Tamaulipas with these uh, anti aircraft missile things carrying them around. That's insane. This is nuts. What if?
0: Yeah. I'm supposed, going down to, there? I'm, supposed I'm supposed to. I'm supposed to interview. To um... Oh shoot! I have to check the list. Oh, can you move for just one second, Melody? I think there's an echo. Oh, I'm supposed to interview three journalists next week. It's not even going to be on my channel. It's a part of a conference that uh, Plebity is doing. I think I told you guys about that conference that's supposed to be happening this month, but um. I'm interviewing three journalists that study the cartels. And so I'm going to do a lot of research for this because that's another thing I heard about. I heard part of that story, which you just told me earlier today, but I didn't have enough time to research it, to cover it tonight. But um, I'm going to ask them about that in reference to those weapons. So it's just it's just crazy, like what's happening right now. And I don't think a lot of people. Unfortunate part is a lot of Americans are just not aware of what's really going on. Melody. Yeah, oh, go ahead.
5: While you're trying to go recall um, Biden, make sure you get make sure you uh, run some ballot initiatives in your state for public banking and, and Oregon Medicare for All as well. Do a little do a little dual campaign there just had to throw that in
9: Absolutely. I was thinking about (laughs) that, too, because when I was like, I hope we have Colin tonight, because I know Roger's going to be like, hey, what about that public banking? So I I think that too, and and you know, they're just having their, what is it called, like their election of duty or whatever? Totally. These motherfuckers are not doing their damn job. They don't even hear us. They don't allow us into their damn, uh, you know, town halls or whatever. And then you, you can't have a conversation with somebody when everybody's booing. You know, it's, it's, it's crazy. Like they're even if you go and you have time and you get to, you know, meet them in the office or catch them on the sidewalk or something like they, they, they don't give a fuck, you know? So why not like recall them? We, we have to come up with some way to fire these motherfuckers and that's it. You know what I mean? Like we just have to be able to fire them.
5: Well, sometimes what happens is when you show people that you don't need them. And you can get along without them, that's when they come running toward you and asking, What can I do for you? As long as they know that you that we need them. You know, I mean now, of course, I know there's really not like a direct ballot initiative that can stop like the things that are of foreign policy. But here's something, here's something that you that we can do. You know, it's kind of already happening. But did you know that military recruitment is down? It has plummeted. Big,
0: Big time. It's really bad. And <laughs> for them, are, not for us. They are so,
5: I'm, I'm trying to get, oh man, I should have asked you to ask um, Stephanie when you went to go see Jimmy Dore, but I keep asking her, hey, what about that interview that you had about um, Secretary of the Army, uh, Warmoth? Cause like after Jimmy's show, she does this thing with this other lady. I think that might be Max Blumenthal's wife, or, but oh, yeah. she. Yeah. So she yeah. does this thing. It's like the after show, and some weeks ago she did like I think it was like one of the best segments I've seen her do. And and um, she was just they were showing an interview of uh Secretary War- Warmoth, who is the Secretary of the Army and. She was talking about how hard it is to recruit. And it's like, well, what are some of the reasons that you come up with with why people are not enlisting? Oh, they say, you know, they don't want to die. Um, they say they don't want to come back like broken up or, <laughs> you know, saying it like, you know, like it's, it's like so nonchalant, like, yeah, they're complaining that they don't want to die. What type of person complains that they don't want to die? You know? you know what I mean? But it's showing you that, we're hurting them. Well, we're not hurting them, but the high schools are hurting them. And it's like, I told you, uh, Sabrina, have faith. Cause I always have faith. And cause you, cause you're like, you're always worried about, oh my God, the the young ones, they're not going to be able to discern. Look what these people are telling them. And I'm like, nah, they'll, they'll figure it out. And it's all, they're already figuring out. They're like, even when we went to that military recruitment thing that AOC had, they were just like, Eh, I don't know about joining the armed forces. (laughs) You know what I mean? And, 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 you know, they're seeing what happened to you millennials when y'all came back from Iraq. There's just like, wait a minute, that's what you got to go through. (laughs) Like what? Oh, hell no. I'm not doing that.
0: You know what what I mean? More about the connection from the military industrial complex and the environment. Yeah, yeah. climate change. So I think, you know, they're learning more about that too. Like they're learning more about it than my generation did. Like when we were their age, like I didn't learn about that when I was in high school. Yeah. Yeah.
5: I mean, the, uh, also, um, uh, Melody, you have to, um, so yeah, I saw that argument going back and forth on Convo Couch, but between the hosts, I think that is more generational with, with pasta. Cause I was just like, Hey, pasta, what are you doing? You, I thought we was, I thought we was, don't support no more Democrats. What happened? You know what I mean? But I think that has more to do with generation because it's like, it's like you got boom, baby boomers who are most of them, not all of them who are like vote blue, blue. No matter who millennials, most of y'all are like, nah, fuck that shit. Generation X would kind of like, Kind of like in between, like some of us will go back to our uh, our taking after the boomers ways and some of us will go be like, oh, I like what these millennials are doing. I'm rocking with that sometimes, but sometimes you kind of like relapse, you know what I mean? And and, and speaking of relapse, when Sabrina, you was talking about how uh, they're trying to um, uh, reignite the Bernie movement. And it's just not it's just not there and it's kinda like fake and I really wanted to uh to to get it going or whatever the case is. You know what I thought of when you when you said that? What people who get addicted to crack. What? <laughs> because what do they say about crack? They say you spend after they say always they always stay after your first hit. And then you try to go back. You always try to run back to get that, 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 that to relive that first high that you will never get again. You know, I know, I know, you know, like dealers used to tell me that all the time.
1: (laughs) And was just like,
5: how does, why do they keep coming back? Because they used to tell me, oh man, they, they coming back because they trying to get that first hit and then they will never reach it. But they end up in this ever ending cycle of, of, of trying to reach that high that they had the first time.
0: Well, I'll see, I'll reach back out to pasta and get him to come on. Maybe we can all have like a discussion about this. You know, maybe I can do a panel, another panel, and we can all have a discussion about this because I think that, um, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what's happening. I know. I remember him saying that, too, that he was done, like, with the Democratic Party. But then I saw him, like, saying, come on, guys, you guys, there's no perfect candidate. And I was like, what happened, Pasta? What is going on? So I, I don't know. Um, I just hope people are falling in love with policies and not falling in love with the person, the, the figure that's presented in front of them. And I saw a lot of that. Uh, with Bernie, like some people did like Bernie for the policies, but then there were some people that just loved Bernie, right? Because he's very, very likable person. But I, I just hope that I already see some people making excuses for RFK Junior.'s position about Israel and Palestine, and or, excuse me, Palestine. And I'm like, you guys didn't make that uh, excuse for Marianne. So what is this really about? Like I could I, I sincerely hope you're not just standing him because if that's what's happening, then you're going to continue to make excuses for him as time goes on when he's wrong on certain issues. And I don't think we should, I don't think we should go down that path. And that that's my thing. And I'm just like, when I was on rising, like I told Bree, I was like, this is a hard line with me. And a lot of people know, you guys know when it comes to this particular issue, there's no swaying me on this. I don't care how nice you are or how great of a person you may seem. Like if you don't have the right position on this issue, I can't rock with you. This is how it is. Go ahead, Melody.
9: Yeah, I mean, it, I completely disagree with his stance on it. I uh, wish that he would uh, go over there and see and see if he's still like hard uh, you know, always support Israel and Palestine. you know, dude, Israel, yeah, it, it does uh have a right to exist in their hearts and minds, but that shit was Palestine, dude. So I don't I don't know.
0: Yeah, I totally hear you. Are, and I um yeah,
9: directly affecting
0: Tears, I think, is in the chat. Yeah, Neoliberters is in the chat. So mm-hmm. I'll i I'll reach out to Neo and ask like, yeah, if you wanna come on for a panel. I think we need to have a deep discussion about this because i've heard both sides i have friends who are jewish i have i have friends who are actually from israel most of my friends that are jewish born and raised in the united states um but i've heard both sides of this and i've also heard from people i know that are palestinian as well and i've heard their side and and my whole thing is is like this is turning into an apartheid state like would we would we be okay with apartheid south africa
2: Yes, we would. Yes, we are. Um, what do you
5: call it? Yeah, 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 I believe that.: You think people
0: um, are okay with that,
2: Noel are okay with apartheid South Africa? I think people are okay to the degree that people don't really understand what's going on. You know, I think, you know, the powers that move the policy in this country are a whole theater separate from the rank and file everyday working people in this country. And I think, you know, again, it it all goes back to what people are really afforded the opportunity to process. Nobody is really painting the complete pictures of what's going on. Like I say, every time you say Israel, the first thing people say is, I support Israel's right to exist, blah, 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 blah. You know, and it's like, as if you don't see or hear the stories about what's going on over there. And so, yeah, there, you know, but again, when you look in our own nation's history, would they be comfortable with pinning one group of people to the economic floor for the eternity? Yes, they are. And and no one challenges them to see it in a different way. It's everything is about a confirmation bias. And it's just, you know, that's why, and I guess, you know, being one of the older people here, In my heart of hearts, I just don't see this thing ending well. I think it's going to spiral out of control um, because I don't see any tectonic shifts happening in our body politic to suggest that change is coming and that we'll adapt to a different type of um, foreign policy and posture on Israel and everything else. You know, the military-industrial complex is one of the major forces in American industry. And so we're the the number one supplier of um, arms and things around the planet. So of course the zeitgeist of what that means has to come back to bite you in the butt. And I think all of this is just, you know, nothing ever in, in my 59 plus years of living in the big picture, nothing has gotten any better. I mean, you get the illusion that something is one step forward, but then you look up in the reality is 10 steps backward or like just like what we're experiencing now with the Supreme Court. OK, you went to the 60s, you march, you got to civil rights legislation. But they immediately began clawing it back. You had the Baki case to say reverse discrimination. You have white women who got the most benefit of the civil rights legislation. Mm-hmm. And now they're reversing the portions that created the voter, you know, set asides. So it's like whenever we, something seems to take a step forward, you have this. Great energy to claw it back. And that's why I keep saying this is a plantation nation and capitalism drives us to it every day. There, You know, the Supreme Court, like Roger just said, they just, you know, did this case where they're saying, OK, it's, the company has the right to sue the union. This, they know the chilling effect that would have on labor and labor has already been turned out and almost turned loose. So the, the whole energy of this nation is always to benefit the elite, to stabilize their lives. And I think, you know, the rest of us are so busy, like I say, just trying to live till, yeah, they'll tolerate it. They'll tolerate an apartheid because they're not going to see it as apartheid until somebody just hammers it, hammers it home and we don't have a media to do it. So. You know, unless you are um, really into those issues because you have some proximity or connectivity to it. All you hear is people saying, well, I support Israel's right to exist, you know, And, and what one of the things that's so interesting to me is, you know, in the major media framing, we always hear about Russia meddling in our elections. But the reality is the Israel lobby and people connected there to wield more power and influence in our elections than you could shake a stick at. And I can't think of another country that has an organized lobby, so to speak, that's all knee deep into our politics, like, you know, APAC and the DMFI. So I'm like, you know, but if you say something, then everything is anti-Semitic and blah, blah, blah. And so people are in a straitjacket. And I think to Melody's issue or concern, I think Israel wields so much power in American politics because there are very, very powerful people in this country who are of Jewish descent and whatever and they use their influence in a way to shape the foreign policy that this country has. We don't see that with any other ethnicity, no other ethnicity shapes American foreign policy with respect to their native lands. It just, you know, it just doesn't happen. And nobody questions it.
0: Well, let's bring melody. back in. Um, let's bring back in melody. And then I want to go ahead and bring in another caller. Cause I know we've been uh, a minute, but anything else you wanted to add, Melody?
9: Uh, just got to mute. Just, uh, I you know, I just think that this whole fucking thing needs to just burn down to the ground, honestly, and just start over because, um, w- we're headed for, uh, well, a, like a world we don't even know. I, and I, I see it coming and I'm very, um, You know i hate to be like i just give up or whatnot but uh this this is this i feel like with the censorship all around the world that thing that happened to that uh you know the reporter kit clarenberg uh over there with figuerella and with um with pasta even he when he's coming back from cuba he got detained um it's getting they're cracking down and it's getting scary and the whole restrict act and we need to figure out how to organize and communicate with each other offline because they're, they're locking that shit down. And I feel it's going to get, you know, very difficult. And as far as like the Supreme Court decision, I think I, I've correct me if I'm wrong, but I heard you say that, um, that the state still has power over, you know, what they decide or was that like,
5: so I, pretty I didn't much- So pretty much what happened was this uh, case in Washington State where uh, teamsters at union workers who went on strike for Glacier, uh, Glacier something, I forgot what it was called, right? The company that they worked for was without like a union contract for a while. So they went on strike. They did leave. So they took the cement trucks, but they did leave it circulating, you, you know, like the the round thing mm-hmm. that goes around yeah the, they left that running to make sure yeah. it doesn't damage but for some right. reason they acted like uh oh it got damaged anyway because they didn't leave it turning I, I don't know why but anyway yeah. um, glacier wanted to sue the union for damages and and um, now they said yeah you can sue them for damages now so that opens up the door to uh, like oh so companies can now sue unions for striking because it means lost um revenue for the company. But yeah. what I'm but what I'm saying is is this. Okay. Um and this is just real talk. I've been saying for a while, um you have to you, you gotta go a new strategy. We've yeah. had every time we had these union uprisings and then the unions get strong and then we just leave it at that i always said when it comes to unions in the private sector i'm not talking about the public sector but in the private sector they are a reform to capitalism to corporations but understand it still leaves it in place it does not replace it as long as you do not put a bullet in the head of corporate of the corporate business model eventually okay. it will come back to eat you okay the union movement bought Teddy Roosevelt to, to power. And then after that, it got killed. And then it built up again. And then it bought FDR to power. And then they had the chance to actually be like, we should move over to co- cooperative. They didn't do it. He got out of office. And then starting from Taft-Hartley with Truman, they started to rewind union power with the culmination coming to Clinton, put the, putting the nail in the coffin. Okay, so this whole thing of like, okay, Uh, do the unions first, then transition over to cooperatives. No, you in the private sector, you have to jump over that and go straight to cooperatization. Now, do you have a pen and paper in your hand?
9: Yeah. Um, Well, I mean, I I have a pen. I can get a paper here.
5: Sure. I want you to write something down. Tell me when you're ready.
9: Uh, Okay. I'm ready.
5: Uh, Michael, Senate Bill 505. Okay. Senate Bill
9: 505.
5: Okay. It establishes the bank of the-
9: oh, Sorry about that. Somebody's at my door. <laughs>
5: <laughs> it is, it,
9: it okay. establishes
5: the bank of the state of Oregon. It's, it's, you, know, you don't have to write this. I'm just telling you. Uh, okay. It
9: specifi- specifies- No, I'm writing it down. Oh, okay. All right, well, it specifies purposes. Oh my gosh. Hold on, sorry guys. <laughs> Okay, anything, sorry.
0: anything happen, can happen here
9: oh I Estab- know right that's that's the beauty of calling it's like real time real time drama here okay there we go sorry my kid just got home so I had to let him in oh okay <laughs> that's, that's the doorbell and stuff okay so uh, Bank of Oregon and
5: yeah yeah so establishes Bank of the State of Oregon board to operate and manage bank creates advisory board of directors to advise bank board and management on operation of bank uh, requires that bank you This is this is a bill this is a senate bill in in the Oregon Senate what i'm okay. saying is what i'm saying is look you oregon is a ballot initiative state you don't have to yes. you want to talk about using pressure okay you just go oh that's nice We're going to take that bill and we're going to run it as a ballot initiative amendment. And then because you want to talk about pressure, you got to remember politicians have egos. They always want credit for the work that you did. Okay, so if you don't run this as an initiative, this thing will never pass. The legislature will never pass it. Okay, but once you start running it as an initiative and they see that you're serious, they're going to jump out in front of you. And pass it themselves and say, "Oh, we was with you all along."
9: Right, right. So you,
5: you use it as leverage. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, and, I, I agree. And even if they don't, even if they don't pass it, you pass it, but ratify it as an amendment. Don't pass it as a as a law, because then they could come in and and you know like without having to ask you and repeal it or weaken it. Unlike they would have to ask you if you pass it as an Oregon amendment. Now, what I will say to any ballot initiative state, right, I would mm-hmm. say pass an amendment pass an that says, yes. um, what do you call it? That says uh, 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 any law that we pass through the initiative process, the government cannot touch for a decade after full implementation, well, not, right? after it, not after it passed. Because, but after full implementation, okay, then, then um, um, come the end of the decade, okay. they, have they have to put, to put it, put it in, before you and ask, "Do you want this, this? Do you want us to keep this law?" Like they can't. Like after ten years, they can't say, "Okay, now we can touch it and mess it all up or whatever the case is." No, no. Once that decade is up, you put in that amendment. Uh, this is separate from what I'm talking about with the public bank. Just, just to let you know. Um, putting that amendment before they touch it they have to ask you do you want to make this an amendment you know i'm just i'm just throwing out ideas pretty much but you know look up that bill and run it as an initiative um i could give you some if you got some contact information you could i could i could you know like uh uh, you want to put your contact information in the thing you know like
0: yeah, let's, let's put it, if you can put it in the chat, Melody, yes. um, that would be good. And I, I want to go ahead and move on to the next uh, caller. Thanks so All right. much. All right, let's bring in John H. How are you, John? Just got to unmute. Oi.
10: Enable. Uh, that. Oh, did I do it? I can hear you. Bye. Oh, God, you have so much, so much bloody great conversation, don't you?
0: Oh, thank you. What's your take on all
10: of this, John? I mean, where do you want to start? There was a that. Uh, what was the change with uh, how how we're gonna change? So RFK, uh, Marianne Williamson, meh. They're both kind of shite, right? I mean, nobody's really. We're not falling for that shite, right? So, I mean. Has, no. uh, have you listened well to the- I
0: mean there there are a number of people who are you know support both, and the thing is is like r f k jr in particular is gaining more momentum um okay. but the question that I have in reference to his statement about Israel and Palestine it's just yeah. I don't see how this is going to how that would be better.
10: He kind of gave up right about the he uh, he fell flat. I don't know how you want to phrase that. Yeah, he fell flat. That's like nah. What is real? I mean, Palestine, Palestine. Yeah, what is real? That's sort of a yeah. Maybe I'm a little wrong for that one, but I mean, the uh, have you heard uh, Richard Wolf's last? I think it might have been just yesterday. Richard Wolf's economic update. Right I haven't ahead. watched it yet. I'm supposed to check that out tomorrow. It was a good synopsis, I think, uh, of uh, uh, how the Chinese followed uh, the Soviet way and the capitalist way and how they figured out their own hybrid. To put that as bluntly as I can. Uh, but it was his very last words of that economic update were: um, he thinks uh, he quoted someone who I don't recall. So he says uh, not his quote. Whoops, sorry, that's confusing. So Richard wolf said he thinks uh, decades will happen within the next weeks. It was in response to a quote by someone that said something similar, like, Hey, you know, Sometimes things just move really slowly but then sometimes so many years of things can happen within a matter of time you know what i mean and that that really struck me hard cuz i'm i've been waiting for that like this entire pandemic i've been fucking waiting for things to just fucking change cuz we've been behind by so long does that make sense yeah ah oh.
0: Yeah. So Uh, does he mean in reference to the economy?
10: Yeah. Yes. Effectively, yes. Uh, So he doesn't know where China will exactly go. He doesn't know if they'll lean, I guess, more towards their communist rule over private capital, private and state capitalism. I'm I'm, I'm probably messing some of this up. And then whether it will go uh, the other way, I guess, towards what the West has done, just more fucking private shitty capitalism, you know, and we're just waiting for that. But it's China's hand, I guess, is the best way to put that.
0: That's interesting.
10: Yeah,
0: so and that and it was about an hour long uh,
10: economic update. Yeah,
0: so. it was an hour long. Okay, I yeah. have to check that out.
10: He he does a good job of uh, you know, uh, taking it slow, repeating things, articulating things. I miss his sarcasm, but otherwise he still does a good job.
0: Yeah. These are all good points. Yeah. I think that, um, I don't know, like I, I've never been more concerned than I am now. Uh, The past couple of years, I've just felt very much concerned for the fate of not just our country, but the world past couple of years idea? have
10: been a little crazy. Do you have an idea of how the Democratic Party might end up? Like a rough, a wild guess.
0: I think they're still going to try to push Joe Biden over that yeah. finish line.
3: Yeah.
0: Um, there that. have been rumors <laughs> of a group called No Labels actually considering trying to push someone like Joe Manchin to take some uh, of that centrist support. But I think that's just a bad idea. Sounds, um, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. I I think that's a horrible idea. And I honestly think that I would not be surprised if Donald Trump won again. Uh, Economically, things are just not good for people. Joe Biden can't stand. Apparently, he's fallen all over the place. Um, He doesn't know where he's at. And at the same time, they don't want to allow his primary challengers to even have debates. So it's just it's all over the place right now.
10: Now, yeah, have the Democrats been holding back those primaries kind of in various ways to begin with, you know, I mean, wasn't Tulsi Gabbard even, uh, they, they had changed the rules spontaneously to keep Tulsi
0: Gabbard off the stage. I think
10: was that uh, a
0: few years back. They did. And they changed the rules to allow Mike Bloomberg to enter the stage. So, um, you know, they can do whatever they want. And I think so that's, that's a big part hard. of the problem. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Well, you, I mean, uh, it's, it's something to really think about. Well,
10: so, I mean, if we had Trump again, well, uh, well, if we had any Republican, again, let's just say any Republican, I don't give a fuck, which they're all the same to me now, Republicans and Democrats. But uh, uh, where do you think we may, where do any of you
0: think we may go from here Period. I wouldn't be surprised if Trump did win again, to be honest with you. Mm And um, um, I hate to say it, but I feel like this reminds me of after uh, Obama's run, his second run. I -hmm. feel like 2012. Yeah. You know, I really do feel. Like, when we look at what Obama ran on and what he produced, obviously it didn't match, right? (laughs) It didn't match. So there's that. But then also at the same time, it's like, I felt like Obama not fulfilling those promises when he riled up his base and got a lot of young people to come out and support and vote for him. I think that gave us Donald Trump. And I can see something like that happening again. Because once again, the economy is still bad for people. And at the same time, we have a president who's trying to tell everybody that everything's fine. We all know it's not fine. We know it's not fine. We go to the grocery store. We know it's not fine. So there's that. There's another war, which Gosh. started under his presidency. Yep. So there's that. Then there was those documents, the leaked documents from the Pentagon that revealed that basically there were no intentions on trying to end this war or move towards any efforts of peace anytime soon that's
10: that's in addition to anything i mean uh that uh rfk is you know finally saying about the cia and in addition to anything anyone already knows yeah i mean when when is enough going to be enough i suppose shit
0: Right. I mean, and, and that's that's a good question. So I think the thing is, is once again, the economy is going to be the deciding factor. I think a lot of people are just fed up and are just tired. I mean, like, what, 70% of people don't even want to, don't even think Joe Biden should run again. We just oh. saw Joe Biden fall down at on the, what was the <laughs> military graduation show tonight? Like it's, it's embarrassing. Afro man
10: in 2024. Can we get away with that? Or would they just assassinate him and just move on?
0: I don't know. I mean, at least Afro man is, is running on a couple of things. I think we can all get behind. Oh yeah. You know, like he's, he wants to end the spending. Like he's like, he wants to end the spending abroad. He's like no more money to Ukraine. So he has a similar position in reference to um, RFK Jr. with that. He's like, we need to take care of home base first. Stop sending all this money abroad. He wants to decriminalize marijuana nationally, oh, which yeah. is something that Joe Biden could easily do by executive order, by the way. Just choosing not do that
10: to. That the first year, I believe, right?
0: Yeah, and he wants to, and Afro Man also has reparations on his platform as well. Yes. So that's another one. And I think that, it's just now he needs to do interviews. <laughs> like you have to like you are gonna have to go on shows and tell people that you're running and like all that kind of stuff. But obviously there's gonna be really hard for independent or any third party candidate. But at the same time, I think we all know what the we know what the DNC is gonna do to um RFK Jr. and um uh Marianne Williamson. This is why they don't you know, the reason why they're not gonna let them debate is not just because that's just how the dnc works but it's also because they don't want people to see just how poorly joe biden is going to perform it's one thing
10: pretty obvious right
0: i mean that's right like it's one thing to just debate in the general election but imagine having to try to get through primary debates and do the general election debates
10: i don't know what kind of drugs they had him on when he did it successfully but i
0: yeah it's that's a challenge Challenge. I think they gave him some. I really think they gave him some uppers last time, and I really do think that. But even in 2020, I think he was in better shape than he is now.
11: Yeah,
10: uh, I mean, you can replay. Uh, God, I want to see that replay of the of him falling over. But yeah, it's. It, I I'm not gonna call him clone. You know, I'm not gonna throw into any crazy shit like. Well, I mean, maybe, but fuck, who knows.
0: It it's like, not at this right. point it's, it's, it's just right. embarrassing him and, and not just him but also Diane Feinstein like why is Diane Feinstein back in the senate oh she's fucking old guys <laughs> yes oh fuck she doesn't even know where she is and she's voting on legislation i mean yeah it, it, this with this?
10: like pelosi left thankfully cuz she was getting
0: really
5: close to that But then, uh, what we replaced her with? She's just not speaker. Say again. She's still there. She's just not speaker. Pelosi. No. No way.
0: Yeah, she's still there. there. Oh, son of a fuck. Yeah, she's still there. But um, she just, but also she knows where she's at as well. Dianne Feinstein doesn't know where she is. (laughs) Yes. Does Pelosi? Fuck. I mean, shit. Uh she's drunk. Uh,
5: <laughs> oh, Sabrina. Yes. Rem- remember what? Remember what the deal was? We are no longer going to say the economy. We're going to say income inequality.
0: That's right. You did. You did tell me that. I did agree to that. Income, income
5: inequality going right about now. It's wide, like the Grand Canyon.
0: It's wide. There you go.
5: So That's how we should press them. We should be, hey, what are you going to do about um, the income? Incoming not, hey, what about the economy? Nah. That's, a good
0: point. that's a good point, Roger, because then it, it puts it in a different perspective. Mm-hmm. Anything yep. else you wanted to add, John? If not, I'm going to move on to the next caller. Just wanted to check.
10: I'm still trying to like account that Slozy is still actually there. I'm sorry. <laughs> Fuck. I'll hang what up the, on did, that Tim? note. I appreciate it y'all. God
5: damn
10: it. I'm going
5: to take care of from here on. Take care What did Tim say? What, what did Tim say? Progress.
0: I hear you. I hear you. All right, let's go ahead and bring in um Jonathan. What's going on, Jonathan?
8: Hello. Well, I had some, hey, how are you? I, I'm pretty good. It's been a while since I got a chance to call in. So it's good to, good to be able to talk to you again. I, uh, I had some thoughts on, uh, you know, on the, on the discussion there. I, uh, I gotta say like, uh, you know, first off, like I didn't have anything invested in either of these, uh, primary contenders. I plan to go in and vote for not Joe Biden. You know, I can do eeny, meeny, miny, mo, but I kind of have been watching this thing with interest, but with kind of like a neutral dispassion because uh, it seems to me like neither of them, like they, like one of the things that they both have in common is that they all like, you know, both RFK and Marianne want to act like Bernie didn't already run twice. And for better or for worse, Bernie fixed the bar in a different place because, you know, especially, uh, you know, with what he's done since, you know, from 2020 and ever since, you know, all the times that he threw the agenda that he ran on under the bus. uh, You know, people are a little more cynical, a little more wary, a lot less trusting. And there is a new bar that any serious candidate that wants to assemble a coalition uh, it's not going to be the exact same one. But if you want one equally large or larger, uh, you are there are certain bars you are now going to have to clear that Bernie set for better or for worse. And they want to act like those bars aren't there. So I don't take either of them all that seriously. That having been said, uh, I should mention I like I did not always have great politics in my life. I, um, you know, 20 years ago or so i was an apac trained campus advocate um i am also neoliberal tears uh um call-in partner we uh we do a weekly show um and you know we like i recognize some of the things i was hearing from him in the breaking points interview okay like when he dropped that case for the israeli border fence which uh, you know, I have seen, like, up close and personal, um, it is, yes, it is mostly fence, not wall, but it also is topped with, like, prison-looking concertina wire. It's interspersed with military pillboxes, and it's got electronic shit all over it. And so this is a pretty draconian-looking thing, even the fence parts, the chain-link fence parts. And he is out there pitching that basically as a solution to the U.S. border problem. Now, that happens to be the marketing ploy that the company that manufactures the equipment that goes on the fence, the Israeli defense contractor, has been pitching for years via APAC. And they even have booths at policy conferences where they give out pamphlets and things like that. They've got an expo uh, at every APAC policy conference. The last one I went to was 2004. Okay, but that I'm told that is still the case. And there is basically only one place that he would have heard that particular pitch. And that would have been somebody connected to the Israel lobby was in his ear. And so I knew from that point that there was going to be like this was going to come up again. And his answer was not going to be good. So and I like I think I discussed that with Katie Halper not too long after it happened. Uh, noticing that little that little nugget. I'm like, he, somebody from the Israel lobby has been in his ear. And Noel was not exaggerating, I've got to say. Uh, the It's not just the U.S. either. Uh, I should add, anybody who's seen that Al Jazeera documentary, uh, The Labor Files, knows they were neck deep in the ousting of Jeremy Corbyn from the Labor Party leadership and the uh, replacing him with Keir Starmer. Uh, but Yes, they, they definitely, they know what they're doing. They have a very like top level, um, corporate quality, uh, PR apparatus, lobbying apparatus. The training I received from them was, was very good quality. Um, you know, it's, uh, they use it for evil, but you know, they, they know what they're doing. They know exactly what they're doing and, and how to, how to reach people in ways that don't seem too threatening to uh, to people that are running in these circles, uh, but they insinuate themselves very well, just like uh, you know an oil lobbyist or, or anybody else. These people are professionals at what they do.
0: Wow, it's just really interesting. I mean, what do you think about the statement? I don't know if you saw the statement that he gave. Pasta, uh, Pasta did ask him, you know, why he deleted that tweet. Um, in reference to his support for Roger Waters, and he openly admitted that he said he supports Israel and that his family has a long standing relationship with Israel. And to me, it was just like like Pasta had to come back and say, and what about the Palestinians? And then he said, Oh, we support, you know, their 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 fight or their ambition or something like that. And it was really like odd to me. And to make it worse, like Dennis Kucinich was actually standing off towards the side. And I was surprised, like, Dennis Kucinich, because of his relationship with Cynthia McKinney, I know Cynthia McKinney has very strong issues on this topic, I was expecting Dennis Kucinich to kind of chime in or jump in at that point, but he said nothing, like, he stood there. And I just thought to myself, like, how can you just dismiss, like, the Palestinian struggle like that? And and that, to me, it just, it made me feel some kind of way. I know Pasta really likes RFK Jr. But I hope, like, his response there, like, really, I don't know. I I hope it said something to PASTA
8: there. Yeah, because, I mean, I did watch that. I was actually talking to neoliberal tears about that very issue earlier because I am old enough, and when I was doing this stuff, was in the process of uh, the 2004 election cycle. And I remember those primaries well. And I remember, uh, because I was on the other side of – of that issue at the time, because I was kind of progressive, except for Palestine. Um, you know, back then I was kind of shit Um And, you know, I remember Kucinich stood out from the crowd because he was, uh, you know, willing to call what was going on in Israel apartheid, which, uh, you know, it 150 percent is. And, you know, if you could make the argument that it, you know, it wasn't fully back then, it definitely is now. Like, I don't think people really fully realize how quickly, uh, you know, Israel evolved from kind of just, you know, just subtle apartheid to open fascism. Like literal, like Italian style Mussolini fascism uh, with a little bit of the German twist, you know, which is particularly appalling given the origin, you know, the typical origin narrative they put out there for that country. Okay, and like there are literal open, um, you know, uh, fascists in that government that uh, used to be banned as a terrorist organization. These are basically the people that assassinated Yitzhak Rabin, and they are part of the governing coalition in Israel right now. And they were re-legalized by Netanyahu before they won a single election. So he was who let them back in the door. And these are pp these are people that will spray paint things and openly state. Um, you know, in public that they want to gas all Palestinians uh, or exterminate all Palestinians or ethnically cleanse all Palestinians. Like these are like when I say these are fascists and these are Nazis, like I am not exaggerating. Like these people, unironically, are willing to adopt that rhetoric and that terminology. And the economic aspect is there, too. Like the the privatization of everything, the merger of corporate and government power that was netanyahu's thing the whole time um like this is like it has taken a turn like a very openly very dark turn particularly it's accelerated in the last uh you know decade or so decade and a half under netanyahu and like there really are like no like these people are using rhetoric from a time when that stuff was not well known like in the 1960s Uh, You know, when Kennedy, when the Kennedy's had the, quote unquote, strong relationship with Israel, uh, you know, you had this situation where Israel was basically, you know, even though it did have uh, the apartheid uh, back then as well. It also had like uh, they openly embraced kind of, um, you know, socialist rhetoric. Uh, The Labor Party was dominant. Uh, You know, everybody belonged to a union in israel they used uh you know kind of industrial policy it was associated with socialism like this was a a much more left-leaning country with you know that at least expressed progressive ideals uh, it is not that country anymore and even now we know because we have more information available to us than they did then even what was going on at the time that frankly should make people a little bit sick to their stomach because, uh, you know, granted we're not really in a position to judge because in the sixties it wasn't very good here either. As uh, I think Noel so eloquently put it, uh, you know, there's one group of people that was uh, pinned to the economic floor uh, using at that point, open violence. But uh, at the end of the day, like there's stuff there that was going on even back then that frankly, looking back on it, we shouldn't have wanted any part of and you know there is like at the end of the day the fact that this guy does seems completely ignorant of it and is using that kind of generational propaganda same as Marianne uh frankly uh you know it was I expected it to come out as soon as I uh heard the the basically as soon as I got the Apex signal from that uh that border fence comment but. Uh, I was kind of surprised at how spectacularly it did come out because, like, the Roger Waters thing was a particularly egregious, like, it was a completely unforced error. Like, and it was, it was frankly, it was, how should I put this? Like, the biggest thing about it that it conveyed to me was the lack of coherence that you would expect in somebody with leadership qualities. Okay, so. The fact that you would go up there make this you know effusive statement and then walk it back immediately as soon as you got a little bit of blowback and delete the tweet and tap dance away from it that quickly signaling by the way that you are completely in the pocket of somebody who disapproved of what you were doing uh you know basically you know he, he it's, it's like he shat his pants in public <laughs> i'm like look at you dude i knew this was going to come out but i mean Goodness, like I thought she would sink back to where Marianne is population popularity wise and basically uh, you know, at least on, on these on that particular type of foreign policy issue be indistinguishable from her. I didn't think he'd he'd really shit the bed that spectacularly, did you?
0: No, I, I didn't, but the thing is is like people are still supporting him though. Like I mean some of the people when I actually showed like his response the other night Like on my show, I could see the comments coming through the chat and people said, that's it. I'm done with, I'm done with him. I'm done with RFK Jr. Forget this guy. So I saw those comments coming through. But at the same time, there were people on Twitter that were like, oh, guys, come on. Don't be so hard on him. You have to understand that there's no such thing as a perfect politician. And I'm like, but those were the same people who were against Marianne's position in reference to Israel and Palestine, but they were willing to make excuses for RFK Jr. And that right there let me know that they were already starting to stand him as a politician and they were willing to just go along with it because they like him and not necessarily because they're focused on his policies. And I think that's a problem and that's what worries me because I just feel like, no guys, like if you have that position against Marianne, then you need to have that position against RFK Jr. too. Like, and and some people just don't get it. They're telling me like, look, he's the best we got. And I'm like, oh, so now it's okay to sell out the Palestinian people.
8: Yeah, and I think you nailed it like four callers ago when you compared it to, was was it you or was it Roger that was comparing it to uh, to Bernie Sanders uh, and the way people would stand Bernie Sanders? And I saw people getting sucked into that from the beginning. And let's make no mistake, Marianne had, She had more of them at the beginning of her campaign uh, before she made her own sets of unforced errors and and some of her kind of um, uh, instability uh, came out. But uh, she had plenty. She still has plenty of her own supporters that have that same mentality for her. And, you know, I saw people getting sucked into it and I was like shaking my head. I'm like, because of what I said at the beginning, like like at the end of the day, I don't take either of these candidates seriously. And when I see people kind of getting sucked into campaign stand mode, I I just, uh, you know, like, I don't know. Like, I I like, but I definitely noticed the same thing. It's out there. It's not as widespread as it would be if, um, you know, these were more serious contenders or if they had any idea of how to make themselves more serious contenders. But, um, It's definitely there. You know, people get sucked into it. And uh, I think if they don't know to, to kind of gird themselves against it, it's very easy to get sucked into that kind of energy.
0: I can see that. And I think the other problem, too, is I don't think a lot of the support that RFK Jr. has is necessarily from Biden voters, even though the polls are saying that, because when I covered his... His announcement on the ground, there were people from all different political ideologies there. It wasn't just people who were Democrats. There were two. There were two people that I talked to in person there that were from the LaRouche uh, movement. So like there, there's there's all different people, and I think a lot of the people came out because of his anti-war message. So they were really attracted to that. And when when Bree was asking me when she said, you know. why is there a difference between uh, it seems like more people are upset with Marianne about this than they are with RFK Jr. about it? And, you know, I think a big part of the problem is with RFK Jr., especially mainstream media, they focus on his his vaccine stance, like the way he feels about vaccines, even though he's not running on that. (laughs) That's the funny part. He's not running on that at all. And because I feel like there was so much attention to that and also him calling out like the CIA, it seemed like this particular topic was missed. And so yeah. he sent that tweet out, like all of a sudden people were like, whoa, what did he just say? Like he, he said, like, Israel has a right to exist, yada, yada. And so I think for some people, that was their first time actually seeing that. And I'm just like, oh, boy and i just i don't know like be consistent people like if you are opposed to marianne because of her beliefs in reference to israel and palestine like then you should be opposed to what rfk jr is saying too and not just give him a pass because you think he's cool and this is what i'm hearing hearing from some people like oh i just think he's cool because you know he had like a great stance in reference to covid i'm like so it's okay to throw the palestinian people under the bus now
8: Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, one of the things that I noticed, which it appears you have also noticed because you pretty much just said it, a lot of people in his coalition are in his coalition because of a singular issue that is of great importance to them. And I find that in those kinds of coalitions, um, people tend to overlook the areas where he uh, has some view that uh they disagree with and most of these people like generally speaking people in our circle you know leftists uh do not have single issues we have a constellation of issues we have an analysis and so things like that will matter of course to us which they should matter to everybody but that's not necessarily how people that are not neck deep in in the politics of these things think and so like we he does have as you observed when you were over there kind of a hodgepodge coalition some of them including kind of right-wing anti-vaxxers like uh there's uh, a lady a very nice lady uh who is is frequently on Colin, uh who is uh you know a Trump supporter uh kind of QAnon um but has some very heterodox views uh, her name is Jenny but she's also an anti-vax and is absolutely uh, loves RFK Jr., and, you know, has has kind of been like, you know, if they ran against each other, I'm not sure. And that is, like, those kinds of people, um, you know, you have, like you said, the LaRouches, uh, you have people like, for instance, Aaron Good, who's singular, like, he is definitely, I would consider him a leftist, but because of what he studies, his singular most important issue is uh, the CIA and the deep state. And basically, um, you know, I, I think uh, in, in essence, uh, he was willing to kind of overlook some of that stuff in theory uh, because uh, RFK went on his show and told him, I am willing to, like, I am willing to dedicate a great deal of effort to uh, shattering the CIA and the, you know, the deep state into a thousand pieces. This is the organization that killed my, my uncle and my father and i know that that's who did it and i basically intend to go to war with them and that carried a lot of weight and you know i i do think uh one of the things that happens when you get invested in something like that is um and it happens i think with every candidate is you start to overlook red flags kind of like in a in a relationship that you know where there was really really good in the bedroom. And you don't want it to end, but you start seeing warning flags and warning signs that it's going bad, and you just ignore them and pretend they'll go away. And I think that happens with candidates a lot. I think, you know, looking back, there were a lot of red flags I saw even with Bernie, that he was not serious about this, that he was going to do basically what he wound up doing, and, you know, that he wasn't really fully on board uh, and committed to, um, you know, uh, making sacrifices for somebody he doesn't know. And I don't think he ever really understood the stakes, to people like us for things like health care and economic justice. Like we're drowning. Yep. And, you know, this is this is not an that was not an election that we could afford to lose. Like people are suffering and dying because he threw that election. And that, you know, again, like he did the same thing in 2016. Like, frankly, the situation was dire even back then. And he basically threw Hillary a lifeline in that second debate saying, I'm sick and tired of hearing about Hillary's damn emails. Well, remind me again, what blew a 10 point lead over Trump about three weeks before Election Day? Oh, yeah. Those goddamn emails that she never developed a counter message for or any coherent answer whatsoever that you know made uh, voters listen to her and be like, not be like, that's a dishonest person. OK, like this, like Bernie, in a sense, uh, you know, was responsible for Trump the first time, too, just not the way Hillary said, because he threw the game. But and he did it to us twice.
0: Uh, by the Go way, ahead, that's, a, that's a great uh, analogy, Jonathan, that you just gave. But you bring up a good point about people being one issue voters. And this is something I know, Roger, you have brought this up before, too, where for certain people. They're just looking for that one issue, and they'll vote only and solely on that. Go ahead, Noel.
2: But the thing, the the thing that I want to point out, though, is all of what we're seeing these um, this schizophrenia, so to speak, in terms of these people trying to vie for this office. I think it is being produced by the system itself. These people, I think. RFK Jr. as well as Marianne Williamson are decent thinkers. And I think they know much better perhaps than we do what's going on, but they're trying to feed the beast in a way. And it's very difficult on the Democrat side because you have this faux allegiance to diversity and inclusion and the constituencies are such a hodgepodge of different, you know, people with different interests. And there is no coherent way to principally appeal to all of these people in these various constituencies without telling lies. And I think Marianne Williams and RFK Jr. both know the Israel-Palestinian situation is wrong but I think they're trying to negotiate that space because they don't want to enrage the Israel lobby. And so they're saying these things, but it just comes off as so discordant to what they're saying on other issues. And I am always concerned about people who are seeking to lead and they make statements, but have no coherent um, analysis behind it to justify it. For instance, if you're talking about the Israel-Palestinian situation, and we, we broadly agree that it is an apartheid state, and I'm sure RFK Jr. and Marianne Williamson understand this, but they're pledging a different type of allegiance without any type of reconciling support to say, you know, it makes no sense for RFK Jr. to say, oh, my family has deep ties. No, that makes no sense. That is not why you shape your perspective on foreign policy, because you're saying my people got deep connections. And to me, you get that type of schizophrenic response because people are trying to You know, walk this way, but not offend that group, but not send signals to this group and virtual signal to that group. And I think, like I say, it's the machine that they that they've gotten themselves involved in that forces them to take all of these different positions that just don't add up to anything coherent and to the degree that we do have people in these constituencies who are one policy or one issue voters they're not looking at the rest of it so when you take people like we are trying to look for the consensus the the view that speaks to a principal position across every issue It doesn't necessarily have to be in agreement with everything I think, but there should be a principled coherence to your positions and you should be able to support them. And we're not getting that. But again, I say, I step back from it and say, but of course you're not going to get it because this system is not going to allow for it. And with all the promises that any of them make, you know, Obama had a good set of things that he talked about. Bernie Sanders came along and they recognize the problems and they can speak to them. But then they turn around and they just let people down and they really don't do anything. And there is a whole governance structure and apparatus that you would have to negotiate to try and get these things done anyway. So I just see it as such a, you know, uh, 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 such a crazy type of project. It just makes no sense. Roger, what's your take on the whole one issue
0: voter thing? Just got to unmute. I'm jealous.
5: That's what it is. It's it's so easy to like um, they can focus like a laser beam on one thing and just be apathetic or indifferent to everything else. I mean, take these people that want to, um, that are pro birth. They say they're pro life, but they're really pro birth. And they say they're for the child. Yeah. Hey, wait a minute. Um, shouldn't we be making sure, students of women, so that they won't have to worry about getting an abortion. You know, That well, what about this whole thing that your party wants to take away all of these things that young mothers can have? And they'd be like, not my problem. I just want to make sure that kid is born. And what, leave him? You know what I mean? So it's there's a certain type of envy that's, that I respect. And not to say I agree with that, but a certain type of envy that I have that I was like, man, it must be something else just to not care about anything except your guns or except your uh, uh, abortion. I, and it's on the other side, too. I, I had a customer. She was just like, I don't care about anything else as long as they're uh, pro-choice.
6: Yep. And, and I'm like,
5: man, that, you must have the life. that That's the only thing in your life that you're really uh, worried about is is that one single issue. So there is a certain envy that I have for people who have that type of mindset because with us um, we don't have as much focus because we care about everything. So what I do as a solution to it to cope with it, I say everybody should pick the top three or five things that they wish to, I'm not going to say care about, but they wish To prioritize and go with that. I chose direct democracy in the workplace and in communities and means of production through co op ownership. I choose direct democracy through citizen ballot.
0: Yeah, I think you're breaking up a little bit wrong. New York
5: State is not one. Oh, can you hear me now?
0: yeah i can hear you go ahead
5: so i don't what was the last thing you heard me say
0: uh ballot initiatives
5: yeah so i choose uh uh i I
0: think you're breaking up a
5: bit let's go to i want to go to public um, banks as a way to
0: fund them because that is Yeah, I think you're breaking up a bit, Roger. So I'm going to go to Neoliberal Tears. I'm going to let you chime in. Speaking of uh, public banks, uh, David Cross will be coming on uh, tomorrow night to talk about public banking. So I finally got David uh, to come on. So I'm excited about that. Neoliberal Tears, you just got to unmute.
11: Hey, we love public banks. Uh, That's going to be awesome. Um, And hey, everyone, you know, here in the chat. Um, fun fact about me is I'm actually more of a listener than a talker. So I've really been, uh, enjoying listening to everyone. What's Um, your take
0: on this Neo-Liberal Tears? Because I I did see one of your tweets, uh, in response to RFK Jr.'s, uh, comment. And it, like, for me, I was just like, does he know what he's actually saying? Do you think he does?
11: He's an idiot. And I think, and even from a political standpoint, like, I think we can all agree. This is the little shred of hope I was going to offer you guys. Um, He did receive backlash over this. And that Mm -hmm. makes me hopeful because I do not want to live in a left where someone says something so offensive about Palestinians. He even forgot that they were a part of the question. And wouldn't like imagine a world where he wouldn't receive any pushback and everyone was like, no, he got dunked on, Um, you know, and yes. the sand sort of made themselves, you know, really <laughs> aware, I, I guess, but there was pushback and I'm glad guys were doing a good job. Like in terms of shifting the discourse about, you know, why Palestinians deserve, deserve equal rights, period. Like it's not... It's not hard. It's not complicated. It's not complex. Uh, We don't need to think about it. Um, It's ridiculous. Like in transitioning people to live under this one legal system is actually easier than creating two states that link two parts that have, that are geographically apart, which is the West bank and Gaza that have nothing to do with each other. Um, And just The word apartheid, I think really scares a lot of um, Israel apologists because it has legal meaning. It has context uh, and it has consequences. It has sanctions. Um, It's been done before. That's why they're pushing back on it. They don't care if you call them murderers, you know, but apartheid, that's a scary word. Katie Hopper was fired for it. Mm. And she's Jewish. Hmm.
0: It's really interesting. That whole like exchange was just really interesting because I mean, granted, I don't work for Rising, but I went on Rising the other day and I made it very public that I support BDS and I stand with the Palestinian people, you know, but I guess I can say those kind of things when I don't actually work for the network.
11: <laughs> and I saw that. I mean, but that's where we are. And also, I just want to post in the chat, there was a poll recently. It's from uh, two months ago and it shows for the first time that democratic voters, are you listening to this? Democratic voters for the first time side with, uh, sympathies from Palestine, more, pal- uh, for Palestinians, uh, more so than, in, than Israelis. Um, 49% sympathized with Palestinians, 38% sympathized with Israelis. That's significant. That's a shift. And no one's ta- no one's speaking to that. Like, you know, it's like, you know, people are there. People, you know, thanks to like a lot of work of activists to m- push this conversation forward. It's not thanks to big money that Palestinians have, you know, convinced enough people uh, of what's really going on, you know, and we need to we need to be brave. So thank you, Sabi. And that was an amazing segment. But I think a lot of, I I think a lot of people that were excited about RFK, are now like fuck this shit. Um, Absolutely not. If I had one issue to take it back to that conversation, if I if I was a one issue voter, I think like if I had to be, I would. I think I would be on Palestine. You know, if your position sucks on that, it proves to me that you're gonna suck in so many other ways. So. Maybe I am a one-issue voter, just to be like (laughs) a contrarian. But that would be my issue. That shows you who somebody is. It's hypocritical, like, and also, like, really, you can go after the CIA, but not the Mossad. Is that where we are? Like, where? Where's the? What's going on? Do we need to bring Whitney Webb back into this? Because I think she can tell him what's going on.
0: I mean, he's he's interviewed Whitney Webb. He's interviewed her multiple times on his own podcast.
11: Hello. So what's going on? What's going on? I mean, is he also his whole thing was like, you know, I'm going to tell the truth because we need to tell people the truth, you know, <laughs> and that sounds great. But like, but now you're saying, oh, no, I need to say this. But really, I'm going to be pro-Palestinian. It's just going to be behind the scenes. You, you see what I'm saying? Like, that's fucking crazy. What's what's going on?
0: Sorry. Yeah, I feel like like people really need to be educated on this issue because I feel like. You know, when people make that statement that Israel has a right to exist and Rod, to Roger's point, when Roger said, like, why aren't people saying that Palestine has a right to exist? You know, I think people need to be educated about this point. It's just it, there's a difference between being critical of the Israeli government, the state of Israel, and being critical against like Jewish people. And I think that's where people some people cannot make that distinction that
11: ba- how do, and I'm, I'm sorry, sorry. How, that's so like how does that break people's brains like there are jewish people who are like literally getting fired like normal norm finkelstein paid a big yep. fucking price so it's <laughs> like no they go after jews too i mean <laughs> it's 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 all of us guys i mean it's not they don't discriminate <laughs> like they yeah. go after you, you in, <laughs> all
0: fairness, in, in all fairness I asked Norm Finkelstein that I asked him this question. I said, "What do you feel is the appropriate solution in reference to Israel and Palestine?" And I explained to him what I was told about the two-state solution from the Palestinian network. And Norm Finkelstein's response was, "Now is not the time to talk about a solution."
11: No, ridiculous. Okay, ridiculous. Let's let's just put that in a box that says Norm can. have he's yeah, old. Everything else. This is ridiculous. No, I don't. We really don't need apartheid explained to us. I mean, seriously. And also, like, when people say right to exist, they're trying to distract you. First of all, there are highways Palestinians can't go into because they're Palestinian. okay. but if you're Jewish, you could have moved there from Brooklyn a month before. Like someone who was born there wouldn't get to go on that highway. But if you're Jewish and you were born in Brooklyn, just moved to Israel because of birthright, you could go. What is that? is that not racist is, is, that, real not, highway is six. that not urgent is that not a moral issue like you know it's it's an issue that if you fuck on like if you fuck on that you're going to fuck on every. you have no convictions like it's what you said like to me it's very clear and i'm glad that he i'm glad that rfk is getting pushed back it means that we're doing the work that we need to be doing me neoliberal, yeah, too, being be cool and just uh, harassing any candidate that talks nonsense
8: yeah i should also say as somebody who was involved in uh you know that uh on the dark side uh back in the day that this whole uh talking point of you know the quote unquote new anti-semitism became a thing when during my day in the early 2000s uh you know around the time around the lead up to the iraq war uh, would have been like, uh, you know, this, what they called the second intifada probably began in, in, I'm wanting to say September of 2000. And around that time was when APAC and the ADL and the whole, uh, group, uh, you know, the coalition that formed around that issue, um, basically started trying to use that rhetorical device. And when I was on the board of, uh, Tulane Israel Public Affairs Committee, um, which was like basically, uh, controlled from Washington DC by APAC. Like I pushed back hard on that point and basically said, listen, if you can't win on the free market of ideas, then you don't deserve to win. But this, this is specious. Like this is, this is a bad place to go. You don't want to go. This is like, a you know, a very McCarthyite approach. And that actually held sway at least for a few years. Uh, until I was removed from the board of my campus organization by Washington, D.C. That like that was something even at the time when I was on the other side, um, I was like that. That was alarming to me. But it was specious that like I think most of us in the movement realize that that wasn't a fair attack to make against most uh, people that were critics of Israeli policy. And that if we wanted to have any kind of civil discussions with those people, uh, we could not start bringing that into it. Like this kind of uh, basically Barry Weiss style. She was much later, of course, but uh, Barry Weiss style accusing everybody who criticizes Israel of anti-Semitism. It was that was something that was was fomented from the very top as a rhetorical and propaganda device. And, um, you know, the people that knew what they were doing rejected it outright uh, because we had to look at ourselves in the mirror in the morning. But since I've been uh, out of it and defected to the other side, uh, you know, one of the things I've seen come up is uh, the training that they're giving those advocates is of of poor quality. But they're training them to be kind of straight up like propaganda bots. And this is one of the talking points that they're fed. And it is a line of attack they use every single time and they beat to death. And they, they basically, uh, run people out of town by, uh, by volume, like by saying it loudly, by having loads of people say it, by trolling people, by having people say it on media very loudly and, and essentially kind of drumming up that, that sort of, um, uh, they, like they're very well practiced at disseminating their message. And that's exactly what they're doing with that. They know it's not true. They know that the people that are criticizing Israel uh, on the actual policy points and on factual bases are not anti-Semites. They know that very well, but they're going to call everyone who criticizes Israel an anti-Semite. And you saw what they did to Ilhan Omar when she said, when she basically was just calling the Israel lobby out for throwing the volume of money around that they do, which was absolutely correct.
2: But see, that speaks to the weaponization of the language of anti-Semitism and it puts everybody in a type of straitjacket. But I don't think people realize the harm that it does to Israel and Israel's, you know, own objectives, because Israel is going to you cannot engage in these type of strategies and not eventually have it harm who you are. You know, my grandmother used to say, if you play with the devil's instruments long enough, you will become the devil. Exactly. It's a, it's a type of contagion. And, and, yes. you know, and I think, and we've seen that type of thing happen in this country with white supremacy and racism. If you don't confront these things from a sincere place, they will eventually consume you. And and it has moved through this nation since its inception because we never really confronted what the enslavement meant. And just to cease the outright enslavement is not enough. And the fact that we never had any type of acts of contrition any type of efforts to make people whole that has poisoned this country and its politics and it moves like a ghost through this nation's politics to this day and we in the 20 coming to the close of the first quarter of the 21st century we're seeing strategies that should have been put to bed a century ago We're seeing book bans. We're seeing people trying to control curriculum because they don't want people to re-engage and know what really happened and deal with it. But that is what is going to usher us to our undoing. You just can't bury these things away. And I see these connections between what is happening in Israel today, what happened in South Africa what happened in the united states and if you don't deal with these things they just continue to exist and and it hurts everybody it's just not the palestinians who are being hurt israelis are being damaged on a yeah, level that I nobody think, is really even talking about and they will eventually be at each other's throats and i mean israelis
0: but it's not yeah even, i think that's it's right it's not sure, even just the um it's not even just the Palestinians. Like we talked about before about the Ethiopian Jews who are facing the same type of discrimination. I mean, where are they supposed to, where are these people supposed to go? Like where are the Palestinians supposed to go? Where are, you know, I guess they could say the Ethiopian Jews will have to go back. will have to go to Ethiopia, but I'm talking about, these are people, some of them were born in Israel and it's just, I, I just don't understand. It's like, where are they supposed to go? And the fact that the U.S. government is okay with this, like you you can't stand here in front of me and say that you support reparations for ADOS, but at the same time you support Israel and what the state of Israel is doing. That doesn't make any sense. Like you can't, how can you be against some type of oppression and you want to right the wrongs for uh, descendants of slaves in the United States but you're okay with Palestinian people and the Ethiopian Jews being oppressed abroad
8: yeah i like I do think it goes back to what Noel was saying a second ago, which I think is hundred and fifty percent correct. Uh, you know basically, if you touch one drop of of what the devil's tempting you with, like you've as good as signed your name in the you know in, in blood in the devil's ledger of souls, the Faustian bargain. Sort of thing, but I I want you guys to make no mistake. Okay, we knew back then that this was the case, and that's why I said stay away from it at the time when I was on their side. Now, these people know like they sought out the devil and they intentionally knowingly signed their names in blood in the devil's black ledger of souls because it was expedient. So they have weaponized that term knowing that it would cheapen the term that it would harm Jews all over the world, uh, and that it would defeat their own purpose eventually, that there would be blowback because it was expedient, because it was easy, and because they could use it to hurt their enemies. And there are very Machiavellian political goals that a lot of these people have. And if they figure they can sustain their order uh, and their dominance in politics by using these these weapons against their political opponents the way they did against Jeremy Corbyn and the way they did against, uh, you know, the various congressional candidates, including uh, Nina Turner, although she wasn't as big a threat as they thought she was, it seems. And, you know, Summer Lee and and uh, all the other people that they dumped tons of money into unseating. But particularly, like, they were particularly naked about it with Jeremy Corbyn. And anybody who hasn't seen... That uh, that Al Jazeera documentary, the Labor Files, really should, uh, as soon as possible, go onto YouTube and watch it. It's available in full and for free. Highly recommended.
0: Okay, I'll check that out. I know um, Brady told me I need to check out like what happened with Jeremy Corgan, so like I'll I'll definitely check that out. Yeah, like it's like a, like an international issue. It's just it just kind of reminds me of the way the indigenous people you know, we're, we're treating the United States. It was just like, we'll take your land, but to make things right, we're gonna give you reservations and you can have casinos at, at the reservations as if that was supposed to undo the unjust heart. So it's such, it's such a shame. Bad cookies, what's your take on this? Just gotta unmute. And I see your
7: Beetlejuice now, what's up? <laughs> Yo, how you doing tonight, Tubbs? Hello. Well, uh, I got some random takes on this if you really want to hear them. Um, can you hear me? I can. Oh, okay. Sorry. I thought I dropped off. Um, the The RFK thing, I think it's just an awful, awful look on him. It's another awful look on him. After he literally threw Roger Waters under the bus, he then makes this comment. And, like, uh, during your, your program, you pause it at the perfect – moment because when they asked him about Palestine about what about the people of Palestine the look on his face said everything you needed to hear without him even saying a word that look of like a bit of shock and confusion in his face I was like man you just got you just got a deer in the headlights on that one and I don't know every everything that RFK has been doing is like a misstep because he's playing old school politics that no longer work but what do you think about that Seth?
0: You know, I think you brought up a good point, like the old school politics that doesn't work anymore. I think that's what he's trying to do. Like when, when he gave his announcement, he was like, I'm trying to bring the democratic party back to what it was when my dad and my uncle were a part of it. And I was sitting there thinking to myself, like that was like over 50 years ago. Like, what are you trying to, really? I'm like, do you realize just how corrupt things are now? Like, they're super PACs, they're super delegates. Like, it's just totally different now. But it seemed like he was trying to hold on to that nostalgia, that 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 nostalgia. And I know Jimmy has asked him about this before, like, why run through the Democratic Party? And you know, he was just like, well, you know, it's like breaking up with the family. You don't leave your family. You you stick with it. And I'm like, well, no, people do. And I think this is a generational divide as well. It's like some of us that are millennials and Gen Z, and like it's not uncommon for people, at least in my generation, to not be as connected or attached to their their families. Whereas, like when you look at the Kennedys, as someone who lives here in Massachusetts, like even like their extended families, like they are still well connected, right? They don't they're a little bit more old school in that sense that like family is family and you back and support each other, except for when it comes to RFK Jr. Because they don't back his stances on uh, the vaccines and they don't agree with him primary challenging Joe Biden either. But the thing is, is that the Kennedy way of politics doesn't work anymore. And I saw that firsthand when Joseph Kennedy, the third, he's the Kennedy with the fight, like the fiery red hair. When he primary challenged Ed Markey, he never really explained to people why he was running against Ed Markey. He never really explained why he wanted to be in the Senate. He was already in the House. And it was very clear to me that he was just running because he was a Kennedy. And he thought he could just win because of his name alone. In actuality, when you looked at the policies, he was actually running to the right of Ed Markey, not to the left of him that was the funny part so he lost the young vote the young vote actually went to ed markey
11: huh and he was younger it's so ironic
0: yes yes he was younger and guys like for people to live so
11: old ed is so old it's crazy how do you get the sunrise movement
0: he was trying to do like this old school style like campaign thing and not thinking about the fact like him making statements that he doesn't agree with marijuana legalization in the state after it was already legal. Him making statements that he approves of police officers being able to stop people if they smell marijuana in their car and search their
11: car. He was running to the what? right of Ed Markey. Who raised yes. him? What, what the is this? Is he running to be the most unpopular? Like, what point is he? Like, is he, was he that narcissistic to think i don't need to be popular i i i'm gonna get elected because i'm just a kennedy like was it that yes that's exactly
3: right
11: no that's exactly right like he was entitled to that seat because
8: he was a kennedy when they asked him he straight up said because a kennedy has always held that seat and you know in essence uh you know he, he basically um you know he was endorsed by nancy pelosi and hillary clinton and held fundraisers on on um on broadway at uh you know at various musicals and you know it was it was just it was the epitome of an elite democrat-backed campaign and uh they even called us marky bros because i was like i don't live anywhere near massachusetts but like once the bernie campaign was over i'm like i'll be damned if i'm gonna let that kennedy brat OK, unseat a guy that was willing to tack left and count on that coalition to support him. Like, we're going to get that fucker into office. And uh, yeah, so he like he was calling us Marky bros. And, you know, they were they were trying to use the same kind of attacks that they used against the Bernie coalition and so on and so forth. Obviously, it didn't work. Marky cut some great ads, by the way. It's about time that you started asking what your country can do for you. And you know that was like that was a great like just one two gut punch to that whole legacy. But I do think like I like I heard uh, RFK say what you were talking about uh, on Aaron Good's uh, thing as well, and even Aaron Good was skeptical. Like one of the things that those of us, like I said, with more of a leftist analysis, we look at history, okay, and we know that Kennedy was able, like they were able to be. You know, to have the kind of progressive views that they did, not on every issue, by the way, they were not uh, uniformly progressive. They were like very anti-communist and, you know, so on. They were a checkered bag. But by today's standards, they were extremely progressive, like, uh, you know, way to the left of anybody running today. And they were able to do that because in the 1930s, okay, FDR managed to get a massive, massive, overwhelming victory not just for himself in almost like i think he lost like one or two states like new hampshire and and something else in new england and that was it okay they swept the board and they did the same with the house and the senate they had such an overwhelming majority in both houses now granted some of them were blue dog democrats some of them were you know southern segregationist democrats but like the, Democratic, the Democrats had a vast overwhelming majority in both the House and the Senate, and that's why and how they were able to create the New Deal consensus. The notion that they could have, um, you know, done all of that stuff um, with the kinds of houses, divided houses and Senate's that we have today um, is, is kind of laughable. But that, you know, the things that they did back in the 30s and 40s, managed to not be fully repealed until, you know, probably the late 1990s uh, to cool. where business could start reasserting itself the way it did before.
7: Well, that just brings me around to my original point that what RFK is doing now is completely misled because he's going to fail. Uh, like you said, all of that shit that they did in the past, all of that's already, you, you're not going to be able to do that in today's current political climate. It's just not going to happen. And for RFK to believe that he can magically pull the corruption out of this duopoly corruption, he's sincerely fooling himself, especially if he continues to perpetuate that same machine of the duopoly, which he plans on doing. Um, I don't really like where RFK is going, but if he can pull more support away from Biden, more power to him. That's all I'm going to say about that.
3: Yeah,
8: I agree completely. I I, sorry I didn't say it earlier, but I meant to say when I started that I was uh, reinforcing bad's point, uh, which I I agree with completely. Yeah, I was trying to say like I was trying to back you up and say like he's saying that thing. Oh, this is my my father and my uncle's party. And no, it's not. It was able to be your father and your uncle's party, you know, uh, 60 years ago because of things that happened, you know, like 70 or 80 years ago. Uh, but are you know have long since you know ceased to be the case so the notion that rfk is going to restore the democratic party somehow to uh you know what it was even in the 1960s is is patently ludicrous like you're not going to do that like you have to remember like what got us to that situation where they could have those kind of overwhelming majorities was a catastrophic collapse Of the entire, not just the U.S. economy, which was hit really hard, but the entire global economy. Like, this was a massive, catastrophic global collapse of everything. And, like, I don't think people understand what it was like at the time. Like, you had massive shanty towns and tent cities cropping up everywhere. Okay, you had 13-year-old girls turning tricks in the street for loaves of bread. Like, people were starving to death all over Like this was, this was catastrophic.
0: We haven't experienced a true economic collapse yet. Like, even though I complained a lot about 2008 and like the housing crisis, that still was nothing compared to how things
8: were back then. And that was really bad. It was really, really bad. And like, if you can multiply that by 10, you have the great depression. Like that's what we're talking about here. An incredible catastrophe is what it took to get that kind of consensus. And, like, unfortunately, like, I wish I could think of a, of a better or more likely way to somehow generate that consensus, but unfortunately, I'm not sure we're going to get it without another, uh, you know, with uh, without another catastrophe on that kind of scale, like utter state failure and collapse.
5: I disagree with that.
8: I think what... I mean, I, I, think yeah, what I hope it, you're right.
5: I think what it is is that... We have no confidence. You know what I mean? Like, okay. So Noel was talking before about, um, about, uh, bandwidth. Okay. We don't have the bandwidth to worry about, uh, all these other things when we can't meet mortgage payments or we can't meet rent or we can't meet the car payment or child support or whatever it is that may be. Okay. If, And if you want us to, if you want people, more people to care about these global issues, you gotta, you know, it's transactional. Okay, you gotta help people in your community. And one of the and one of the ways is, okay, you gotta start from the ground up. Okay. Now, again, there's plenty of stuff you can do, especially if you live in a ballot initiative state. To get these things done to help solve to help solve these issues. Right now we got a housing crisis because why? Because private equity, like BlackRock, is buying up all the homes, okay, and they're engaging in rent speculation, okay, and and going and um, you know, uh, uh driving up housing costs. Now, I was I was telling um um Larry Sharp on his show. You know, I was, you know, tweeting in or whatever the case is. I said, Larry, you're you're worried about and I want you to think about this for a second. I said, all these people that are leaving New York State. And he, he also says something interesting. He said Wall Street has left Took said the bank that's left on Wall Street is. Uh, what's the J.P. Morgan? I forgot what bank it was, but he said they all left and went to Florida. Only like the New York Stock Exchange is still here. And I was telling them, let them leave. You know what I mean? It's like, see, like he was looking at it from a, pers- this is the perspective I'm looking at it from. You want to leave? You want to get out of New York because you can't exploit people? Do you need help packing? Oh, but they're going to take the jobs. We create our own jobs, okay, with cooperatives. With other things. We establish a public bank. All that stuff. Okay. I am ready to let the whole thing go. So you can build upon the ashes of the new. But some people are so holding on. To that person. That's abusing them. In that relationship. You know like you you got that friend. That you're looking and you're like. You know they're treating you like shit right. Oh but I love them. I need them. And you can't see it until you get out of that relationship with them. And this is like, no, let them go. They don't want to be with you. They, they they are not interested in you.
2: No, I love them. I need them. I need them. No, no, no.
5: And then when you finally get them away from them and then they, hey, look, I'll get you a new man. I'll get you a new girl or whatever the case is. When you finally break them away and they've gone on to this other thing and they look back and be like, damn, I can't believe... I was obsessing over this dude or this or this girl or whatever the case is. Now, I also want to go to this. So you said, Sabrina, that you're going to do the um, this this mutual aid thing with with some barbecue and stuff like that. That right there. Right there. That is the perfect opportunity to get to develop relations with these people, you know, like to develop connections with these people and tell them, look, we're going to try to run a ballot initiative for a Massachusetts public bank and Massachusetts Medicare, because everything is transactional. You're doing something for these people in Massachusetts or, you know, even if you decide that you're going to do a tour all over the all over Massachusetts to, to do something like this. Right. And you start developing like connections Get their contact information because we're gonna we're gonna try to run this you know what i mean so going back to what i was saying jonathan you don't have to wait till the whole thing collapse you can do if you live in, look if you live in a ballot initiative state you can do it yourself now what i'm saying not by yourself but you know other people or whatever the case is but what i'm saying is also is that you just have to have the confidence you see what I'm saying? People have no confidence and they go back to what they know. They go back to getting abused by these politicians like that, that like like spousal abuse. You feel what I'm saying? Is this like, why are we even concentrating, looking at what these people are just not going to do for us? You know what I'm saying? There's plenty of power over here that you can exercise, that you could do it yourself. And like I said, once you show you don't need them, then they're going to come run into you. What can I do for you? No, I said, right. I'm, I'm good, I'm good. Oh, but you know, whatever. And then what happens is once you start ratifying these initiatives and passing these initiatives and you're taking care of people at home, okay, and you start, oh, you know, I out, we outlawed private equity from, we ran an initiative that passed, we outlawed private equity from owning housing, okay? Oh, going back to the housing thing that I was saying, right? We are making new york is making other places expensive okay because as people are running from here because as i was saying i was just like why you want these people to come back these these pmc people have been making new york mad expensive so now what's happening is they're going to south carolina they're going to all these different places whatever the case is and the people that are the natives to those cities like charleston or Whatever the case is, they're being chased out of the out of the metropolitan area because the housing costs is going up. So the natives have to oh, so the natives have to move to um, have to have to move outside the city. So now their commute becomes longer.
7: Roger, with all due respect, I still have a couple of questions to go if you don't mind.
0: <laughs> go ahead, go ahead. Uh, bad cookies, and then I'll bring in uh, Joey.
7: Right on. I'll try to make this fast. Um, Sabia, you made a quick comment on um, the Epstein issue when uh, Chris Tucker was announced that he was on his island or that he had a dinner with him. You you made it seem like you really got offended that you found out that Chris Tucker was, you know, part of the Epstein situation. Why is that? Why was it so like devastating to you to find out that Chris Tucker was involved in it and uh, Chris Rock as well?
0: I think because to me like Chris Tucker, especially at that point in time, like his popularity had already started to die down. And so I was kind of surprised that um, Jeffrey Epstein even knew who he was. So that was kind of weird to me. And I was just like, out of all the comedians, when you're looking at comedians that are extremely popular versus Chris Tucker at that point in time, it was kind of weird to me that he sought him out.
7: Bet, all right, and uh, my last question just, so I can hang up and be done. Uh, uh, you will, you talked about uh, Tara Reid at the beginning of your show and uh, how her situation is really fucked up. You know she you you described how she can't even come to her own country, her own home because she's being threatened by the people of her own country that if she comes back here, bad things are going to happen to her. You know how the fuck is someone supposed to feel in that kind of situation? And I kind of feel bad for Tara Reid, but. With that said, I also don't feel that Tara Reid is safe in Russia as a Russian citizen either. Because uh, I'd like to say that the the spooks have very long-reaching hands, and you know she's not a Russian dignitary. You know she might be a Russian citizen, but Russian citizens disappear all the time, and who knows? They have bad breaks a lot over there. You get what I'm saying? Like she's yeah. she's not entirely safe. Is my thing and. I think it's really, really fucked up that someone got – I believe Tara Reid. I believe she got sexually harassed by Joe Biden. I think it is so fucked up that someone who got sexually violated came forward, said, hey, I got violated. And instead of people fucking giving her the benefit of the doubt and respecting her, they fucking smeared her, shunned her, treated her like shit, treated her like she was – just out to make a name for herself and now you are a citizen of the United States and you're in another fucking country and your own people, your own government's telling you you come back here and we're gonna fuck you up. How are you supposed to feel to that, Savvy? How are you supposed to react to that?
0: I don't think it's it's easy to react to. Um, you know, I, I can only imagine the type of mental stress that Tara has been under. I mean, I, I was fortunate in the fact that I was able to meet Tara Reid in person and talk to her in person. Like she came to the anti-war rally. I met her the night before. Um, Just as, as sweet as can be. I've also brought Tara Reid on the show multiple times. Um, I've also been on her show. Uh, she's been on, she's also been on RBN as well. You know, the biggest problem i think was that and not just in reference to joe biden but was that tara reed did not have a large support network people didn't some people didn't want to get too close to her because they were afraid that it would hurt them if they had some type of relationship or acquaintance with tara reed um there were some of us that didn't care about that um i was one of those people like i didn't care like if people looked down on me or felt a certain way because you know i talked to tara reed or whatever but i know she went through a lot um you know there's some of the things that you've heard that she's talked about in interviews and then there's some things that you guys have not heard that i saw happen um reef was so great to be able to come on tonight because reef was her producer. For her show politics of survival and uh he was able to give a little bit more detail um, and debunk some of the things that have been reported by mainstream media in reference to her not being able to return to the united states and i think people need to understand Hmm, how could tara have been helped she could have been helped by having a big support network and she didn't get that and I really think like that's a big, that's a big part of the problem. Uh, there were a few of us that were willing to, you know, support Tara and listen to her and hear what she had to say, and not just on camera but also off camera. But the majority were not. And this is where I think someone like Tara just kind of felt like she was already getting death threats. She was being harassed by people. She felt like she had no other choice, you know, so to speak, because she did not have that support network. And no, I can't imagine what it's like to just have everybody for the most part in the Democratic Party turn against you. But then to go along with that, even on the progressive left, so to speak, you don't even have those people as allies along with you either, because they're afraid that if they attach their self to you, then you may hurt their image and their brand. And that's really, really sad. And I saw her go through all that. And that's what I'm trying to tell people is like, you can't just say believe women when the perpetrator is a Republican. When you say believe women, it should be believe women, period, regardless of political party. And Tara Reid reached out to different organizations And one of those organizations was Time Up. She reached out to Time's Up only to find out that they were also connected to the Democratic Party. So the people, the organization that was supposed to help women that had been sexually harassed or sexually assaulted was connected to a political party. So if you had been assaulted by someone in the Democratic Party, that organization was not going to help you. Instead, they turned on you. And that happened to Tara Reed for a lot of the places that she went to. Then then she lost her job at RT after they shut RT down. So there was that. And then she's trying to get other jobs in media because for people who may not understand, like Tara Reed interviewed some pretty high profile people on her show. And I knew she was being heavily suppressed on YouTube because I was like, there's no fucking way. She's interviewing like, European politician, she's interviewing Amalia Shetella, like she interviewed some of the same people that I interviewed. And I said, there's no way that, you know, this, these videos are getting these views unless she's heavily suppressed. So I did a little bit of research on my own. And that's when I saw that, like, even if you searched for her in YouTube, her channel would not appear. So it's just very sad. It, it is very sad to me like I, I people need to understand that Tara Reed is not just someone who accused Joe Biden. Tara Reed is also a mother. and And I feel like a lot of people don't think about that, and, and I know, like you know, I've talked to her multiple times, and there were a couple of times, well actually more than a couple of times, where she was just not supported. And it seemed like the support mainly came from the men. So, you know, shout out to like the guys, like um, at Indie News Network that she was a part of, like they were very much supportive of her. But it just, we're in like a left independent media space. And it was very sad to me to see that like, I felt like everybody, especially if you were a female, everybody should have built some type of solidarity around Tara Reid, and it just was not there. And it was very sad, and I, I felt, it was one of those things like you feel bad for someone, but you don't want them to see that you feel bad for them because you don't want them to see that, you don't wanna feel sorry for them because they don't want you to feel sorry for them. And I totally understand that. At the same time, like it made me really frustrated. And I held my tongue for a long time because I saw how people would ignore her. I saw how people, like I said earlier, would prop up journalists who smeared Tara Reid. They would prop up like journalists like Michael Tracy who smeared her and said that her story changed so she's not credible. I sat there and I watched people like Sam Cedar. Throw shots at Tara Reid and say, Yeah, she's not credible. And for Emma Vigilant to sit right there next to him and agree with him, and you're the woman, it just made me feel some kind of way. Why didn't you guys invite Tara Reid on for the discussion? You know, it's one thing to have mainstream media against you, but then you got people in left independent media against you as well. Like, what is this all about? Like, instead of smearing this woman, why not invite her on for the discussion? I had her on for the discussion. Megan Kelly had her on. Some of us had her on. But it was it was just very sad and it it really made me feel some type of way and that right there let me know like wow. Like so much for solidarity, man. So much for solidarity. Joey, um I want to bring you in and um get your takes as well. What's up?
4: Boujou. Hi. Um well, all of our movements get co-opted by the establishment. You know, Thomas Frank wrote that in his book, Listen Liberal. So, I mean, before there was Me Too, there was the MMIW. And I've always been an ally for Tara Reid. Um, like I was saying, you know, all of our movements get co-opted. And RFK, you know, he. I've been wondering where he's getting his funding from because I know he called out... The national climate movements, and I doubt that he's getting his funding through, like environmentalists. And, Do you guys
0: know if if RFK Jr. has said that his campaign is grassroots?
4: Because I haven't heard him say that. Um, I haven't heard that. And I, you know, I live a a, a double world. You know, you know me by by an indigenous indigenous male, but I'm also white, you know, European American, and my mom's grandmother was from Lviv, Ukraine. You know, she migrated here, I don't know, back in the early 1900s before or after World War One. And I'm thinking, you know, why? Why is he supporting Israel? And I'm looking at it and I'm thinking to myself, well, where does Israel sit on the Ukrainian war? quickly Googled it and, you know, they've been hesitant to join in. I'm quite sure that he's probably got a good starter fund from APEC.
0: You know, I can look it up on Open Secrets anytime, you guys.
4: (laughs) His first um, reporting should have been done in May and it would, would be released in the middle of June on the FEC page, so it'll update on Open Secrets by then. Um, well, thank
0: you, Joey. I'll check that out.
4: <laughs> no problem. It's kind of been bugging me for a while. It's like, where is he getting his money? He, you know, he did call out um, that the climate movements are top-down and that Bill Gates and the World Health Organization have been co-opting our movements. And, you know, Sabi, you know me as a climate advocate, and a water protector and it's like i personally see that you know our national organizations have been co-opted by the establishment you know this new organization called climate defiance has been going in and disrupting climate organization speeches with like jim podesta i was there um, the week of the, the White House Correspondence, and we, we went into a donor event for a climate organization where Podesta was speaking. Someone brought up the emails earlier, and it, it reminded me of this. So sorry for bringing it up, but we went in there and shut it down, and part of that organization is acknowledging that our movements, you know, our c- climate movements have been co-opted by big money itself. It just makes me think, you know, the movement itself, our, the revolution, has always been stifled by the establishment. And that's what we're going to be coming up against in all of movement building, and including, you know, co-op movement building. So I hear my, where
10: you're coming from, Joey.
6: Speed Trap reported ahead.
4: oh dear Roger and on the notion of like Israel and Palestine you know as an indigenous person I'm you know give the land back originally Israel is a colonized um, territory from Europe you know mostly from German Jews who didn't feel comfortable after World War II to be in that area so Britain Gifted them the West Bank area so they could have a place to go. Um, the reason why they did that was, you know, Palestine was a part of the act, uh, the Palestinians were a part of the axis of evil and they lost during World War Two. so they were conquered. It, you know, the Palestinians are a conquered people and that land is rightfully theirs you know as sovereignty what do you do you give the land back to them and let them decide on how they're going to govern it it's the same over here in the united states it's you know this is our land turtle island give our land back we're not going to kick you out but we're going to govern our land how we see fit and that's the right of sovereignty to a nation and that's something that is not being talked about with palestine is you know they have sovereign right to that land, just like the indigenous folks over here have sovereign right to this land. And with sovereignty that comes the right to determination and government or governing.
0: That's a good point, Joey. That's a good point in a reference to the land. And I think a lot of people just either don't know about that or don't really think about that.
4: Well, uh, across the globe, Indigenous people are being abused, neglected, killed, and uh, are being part of genocides. You know, we just had the Indigenous Environmental Network, you know, over dealing with the UN on Indigenous um, desperation. And there were nation states, a part of the UN, outright threatening Indigenous advocates and indigenous people from their countries not to talk. So the indigenous struggle across the globe is is huge. You no. Know?
0: Yeah. Yeah, I hear you. All right, I'm gonna get um weigh ins from everyone else and then I'm gonna head out. Um let's go to Noelle. Any uh last words, Noelle?
2: Um it was a really good show tonight. I really appreciated the discourse. And, you know, these exchanges, I think, give meaning to a different sense of community. And um, we just have to stick with it. I know a lot of times I am the ultimate cynic and pessimist. But that's because I'm older and I know before any of this stuff really shifts, I'll probably be gone. Um, But I have great hope um, that something will happen and that, you know, the path that we appear to be on won't be the one that brings us to an end. But with that said, I say good morning.
0: Oh, thanks, Noel. Uh, Neoliberal? Oh, might've lost me a little. Oh, there we go. I'm here. Any last words?
11: Uh, just to echo um, Noel's hope um, and thank you, Sabi, for the amazing show tonight. Um, I'll just leave you guys with this. Um, I posted in the chat uh, uh, an op-ed that um, Edward Said wrote uh, in 1999 and it was called The One State Solution. And even back then, he was explaining exactly um why it was so important to push for it back then when there was a big discourse about a two state solution and he's um, a very um, famous intellectual he wrote about orientalism and uh, thank you guys for having this conversation and pushing back on any candidate who gives you bullshit about you know uh you know israel's right to fuck you fuck you um and thank you guys
1: Thanks so much. Uh, Roger. Who's Mark Macross? I never heard of him. I'm sorry. Oh, any
0: last words, Roger? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was saying, uh, who's Mark
5: Macross? I don't know. I'll just look it up. No, oh, I thought you said you was going to have him on the show tomorrow. Who? David, David. (laughs) David.
0: Who? I never heard of him. David? Um no, he um reached out to me via Marco. Ah yeah. so he's from Oregon. Uh he's in California.
5: Oh okay, they just cause they passed the uh the that public banking thing I was talking about. Okay, mm-hmm. cool, cool, cool. This will be this'll be interesting. Um Joey we gotta, we gotta get you uh, an initiative for uh, single payer in North Dakota. You're way ahead of
3: everyone else.
4: <laughs> I'm in Minnesota, but I do have oh. folks over in North Dakota. Cool. And I 100% agree. Cool, cool. Awesome,
0: thanks so much,
1: Roger. Oh, and I
5: was Jonathan. just going to say, my bad. My, I was just, I've rem- I remembered. I think that Dennis is controlled opposition. I think he's been shot.
0: All right, that's it. Someone else told me that too. All right, Jonathan.
8: Well, there's definitely something to that, Roger. Uh, Noel, did you really see that thing about bandwidth that Roger attributed to you? Because that was a really, really smart observation, right there.
2: Yes, I did.
8: Yeah, that that's that's sharp. I think that's that goes to the core. You do have a way of getting to the heart of the matter, don't you? But. Um, yeah, I, I wanted to say that was like, I was impressed. That's a, that's a really smart observation. And, uh, Jonathan, right, did, you
3: guys, what, did you want
8: to say Jonathan, something?
5: Where do you live?
8: Where do I live? I live in Houston, in Texas.
1: Oh, in Texas. Okay. All
8: right. But, uh, right. yeah, I also, I, I did want to, I also wanted to say, like, I, uh, I also, um, was, uh, like, I was on board with, like, I, I definitely had uh, Tara Reed's, uh kind of back from the jump when I heard her uh, interviewed by Katie Halper. I had just actually, by, at that point, finished reading a book on um, on uh, on trauma and uh, and trauma psychology, and uh, I even made reference to it. That's how I got, that's how I made friends with uh, Tony Zankis, because um, I was commenting on that it like her story and the way she told it and uh, and those kinds of things had the ring of authenticity, including some things that is almost impossible to fake. And that nobody who learned about rape from watching it on TV would ever know. Uh, so like things like dissociation and things like that. So I was already inclined to support her, but I am also a huge Rose McGowan fan. Uh, that is my generalissimo. And she has the blessings of Rose on her. And uh, and so I I love Tara Reid and I it breaks my heart to see uh, the way she was treated ever since she came forward with those accusations. You can see people in her Twitter replies saying the most vicious and cruel things. They're uh, basically trying to induce some sort of mental breakdown. And, uh, you know, I I wish her uh, Godspeed and, and and future success in in. Uh, whatever endeavors she starts from over there and um you know i i feel just really bad for you know that it it came to this for her but um you know i i hope she she finds some measure of peace and uh i'm i'm glad you uh you you covered that subject as well and i'm glad you stayed in touch with her and and hopefully will continue to and you know keep us updated
0: Awesome, thanks. And Joey.
4: Um, quickly. So, uh, House passed the Mansions dirty deal. Senate most likely passed it today. I haven't caught up. Biden's been pushing it. What does that mean? It has to do with the Mountain Valley pipeline over in West Virginia being approved. And then also deregulations on the National Environmental Protection Act. And everyone should be concerned on the deregulations part, if not the Mountain Valley Pipeline. The deregulation parts affects all of our communities. It's what legally gives us the right to have a democratic conversation about industrial businesses coming into our communities. In short, no DAPL wouldn't have happened if there wasn't uh that if there wasn't NEPTA, which means Bismarck had a chance through that democratic conversation to say, no, we're not going to have it there. And they put it right through the, the, ter- the, the, the tribal nation. When the tribal nation tried to use NEPTA, although it didn't, us, didn't do us any benefit as there are two standards of laws in this country... Even so, NEPTA is very important to our communities because it allows that democratic conversation that's being deregulated by Joe Manchin and Joe Biden. That's all I have to say.
0: Thank you so much, Joey. Very interesting. All right, guys. Thank you so much for tuning in. I am going to head out now and hope you guys have a good night.
4: All right. Walkman, good night.
0: Bye. Good night. Bye.
5: Oh, good morning. Morning.
0: Huh? Oh, good morning. <laughs>